you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Oh, hey, guys, this is Joe Sinnott uh, speaking for the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hi, and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Thor, Episode 1, The God of Thunder, covering a period of Thor from 1962 to 1964. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm Craig, your regular Thor host. And this is going to be possibly one of the 10 all-time epics you will never forget. (laughs) I wonder what the other nine are. Uh, I'm going to bet somebody would say Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings. Okay. Beyond that, I'm not sure. I forgot them. Well, you know, so this is, um, you're taking this from, what is this, Thor, Journey into Mystery... 104. Number 104. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess at that point they were feeling a little more confident about the Thor character. It's possibly one of the 10 all-time epics, but not guaranteed... Yeah, that's true. And I could say probably from this, uh, the the beginning of Thor is possibly not one of the all-time great epics, but it develops, it will develop into one of the the all-time great epics in Marvel history, at least. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting seeing the origins of Thor in this book, even the fact that it isn't his title. I mean, yeah. that was common for a lot of heroes starting out that wasn't, it wasn't Superman's book, it was action comics and wasn't Doctor Strange's book, but it's still interesting to see the evolution of this character and how he sort of arrested control of the Journey into Mystery book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't even end up sharing it, like in Tales to Astonish, um, Ant-Man and Hulk share it, and then after Ant-Man leaves, Namor and Hulk share it. Um, or like in Tales of Suspense, when Captain America and Iron Man share the book. No, Thor is the only guy uh, that, that had a story, an ongoing story in Journey into Mystery. Yeah, beginning with uh, number 83, he just takes off. Yeah, so which are the books in this collection that we are going to be talking about? What issues? We're doing issues 83 all the way through to 109, so the first 26 books of Thor's existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a very interesting time for Thor, because reading these early issues, I really feel like they kind of just throw a whole bunch against the wall and see what sticks. Like his powers, they change from issue to issue. What his hammer can can do is very ambiguous from issue to issue. And um, even his relationship with with Jane is... Even the Jane he has a relationship with. <laughs> yeah, she yeah she she's changes from issue to issue. Um, so yeah, it's a, it, it's a time of experimenting. You have to go into this book definitely putting on your 1960s glasses to understand not only Stan's writing style but also the the era in which this is written. They remind you frequently the commies are bad guys more than once. Oh, yes. And, you know, and women are only good for fainting in, in a crisis and the things like that, right? It's true. The, the nice thing, though, is um, more than once, even in just the 20 issues, 
they retcon things. But whenever they did a little retcon, just a slight tweak, they gave you like a one-page, six-panel <laughs> review of what happened last time that yeah. won't be quite how you remember it from when you read the issue. Definitely. Just to tell you what they've tweaked. Have you read these issues before? I had not, no. Okay. I've read these issues about, I don't know, five years ago or so. Um, and so this is my second time going through them. And I haven't read any more than this one book. So volume two, three, and four, if we get into those ones, that'll be what new do you mean material if, when to me. We get when, we, when we get into those ones, uh, that will be all new material to me. And uh, I'm looking forward to that because um, the, just like the Facebook comments that I'm going to read a little bit later, uh, this it starts off a little rocky, but apparently gets much better as they get more into uh, the mythology of the character. I thought just in these 26 issues, it was building towards the Thor... I'm familiar with and I enjoy and and I know we've previously discussed you don't always like the asides to Asgard Um, I really like them and I like the fact that in this issue Stanley and Jack Kirby thank me for liking them (laughs) a couple times yeah Yeah. (laughs) well actually I like them because so if you've been listening to this podcast for a while Craig and I have already talked about two volumes of Thor that are in the in the 90s the 80s and 90s late 80s and that's the Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends books. And they bring back the tales of Asgard's backup stories in their run. And I didn't like those ones as much. I think these ones are better because I was tired of Earthbound Thor. And these tales of Asgard's were our only look into Asgard in this entire book, really. Because Thor doesn't spend time on Asgard at all. No, Thor doesn't. There's a couple brief um, uh, connections to Asgard by Thor in the in the main story arcs but no it's uh it's very much an earthbound it's it's almost more an American story too he's mm-hmm. he's very much dedicated to the uh, the American ideal at the time which makes sense based on the era it was written yeah it, it is uh it is interesting because I do like Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends's run because it's earthbound Thor it's it's weird because I'm not really into the cosmic stuff either that Marvel usually does. I like Spider-Man. I like the X-Men where they are. Um, I mean, I know the X-Men go into space a lot, but I like it when they are dealing with problems on Earth, problems in their own lives. Fantastic Four is like that a lot too. So I really like Tom DeFalco's Thor because of the Earth stuff. But then Stan's Thor, I'm like, I can't wait for him to get into into Asgard. <laughs> I love the mythological side of the Marvel Universe and yeah. the... And the space side, which I guess is why I'm the guy who got tapped for Thor and for mm-hmm. Doctor Strange. And I liked reading this in that you could see the Earthbound Thor idea that inspired DeFalco's run. Because right. that was the run I had started reading Thor mm-hmm. with. And and while I was aware of the, the past mythology of Thor, I had never actually sat down to, to chew into it the way I did with this book. And um, I like the fact you can see that clearly DeFalco had had really looked into what was Thor like on Earth. Right. So before we get into that episode, let's talk about uh, some comments that we have on Facebook. I asked people to tell me what their thoughts are on this volume, of the issues in this volume. We had a bunch of comments here. Andy says, it's a great intro to Thor. The backup Asgard stories are better than the main ones, in my opinion. And one thing I found odd is that sometimes Thor calls it his hammer, and other times his mallet. And he also says that this volume led him to buy volumes two to four also. 
Billy says, solid content, but what came after was much better. Michael says, of Thor itself, I've only read the first 14 stories so far, and I didn't enjoy them much. Too silly, most of the time. I'm hoping that without Lieber and Bernstein scripting, it will get better as I read on. Um, and then he, Michael has, he posted a link to his blog called yetanothercomicbook.tumblr.com, uh, which he does little reviews, so check that out. And, oh, and Michael goes on to say, of Tales of Asgard, I had a different reaction. I've read all of those and loved them, really loved them. Such a fantastic series, a gem, can't praise it enough. Hartley says, oh man, I love this stuff, and I can talk about these issues till I'm blue in the face. Oh, good old Hartley Holmberg. Yep. He's actually going to be in one, one of my, uh, in my Marvel 2-in-1 episode. Oh, excellent. A little crossover with the Hartley show. Yeah. And then uh, Kimi says, I found this extremely hard to get through. And uh, one more comment, which was on Instagram. Uh, Lucas says, just awful. Really crappy. The Tales of Asgard backup saved the volume from the trash bin. Wow. <laughs> so there, is, uh, there are some really... Uh, very polarized reviews here. Some people are like, I love these. I can't wait. Can't stop talking about them. The others are like, this is destined to be garbage. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're taking them by the standard of the stories we're used to with more complex plots and consistent names and costumes, and I can see where people are coming from. I mean, like you said at the beginning, I think this was a lot of let's throw a bunch of stuff at a wall and see what sticks. They reminded me a lot of, actually, those old Fleischer Supermans is what I thought I was reading. <laughs> yeah. If you took those and turned them into a book. I enjoyed them because of their silly sort of goofiness. Um, I thought it was a nice sort of break from, uh, especially the current sort of types of comics are, are long, drawn out, dour stories. And these were quick, goofy, playful snippets. Yeah. Well, but even when you compare these to other books of this era, all of the other beginning Marvel books, like I just recently did an episode, two episodes, on the early Ant-Man issues with Eric. Yeah, they were great. And those were great. And it's the same team. It's Stanley and Jack Kirby doing most of them. I mean, there's fill-in artists here and there. But uh, those ones have a different sort of... Uh, a different sort of silliness to them that that makes it, I think, more enjoyable, or they have a better it's it's a better concept or something. I'm not sure. And then same with I uh, was with those early Fantastic Four issues. It's a way more solid book from the 1960s than than Thor. I think is. I think that's probably a fair um, fair statement. I don't know. I, I'm I'm probably a bit clouded in that I I have really loved Thor since that that Defalco run, right? Um, especially. That then only picked up further after they wrested control of Thor back from Rob Liefeld in the '90s, and late yeah. '90s, and um, had that great uh, John Romita Jr. run, and mm. so I, I think that's probably part of it. And um, but I, I enjoyed this for its campiness. Um, I do get what you're saying. I don't think I don't know if they had necessarily planned out Thor to be this successful. I think that first story might have intended they might have intended that to be a one-off peace with the rock monsters and um and had not expanded it or extended to expand it the same way they maybe thought like they knew ahead of time that fantastic four was going to be more serialized well it's okay so here's here's how that lays out in the history um so fantastic four of course kind of starts off the marvel universe and then hank pym was a character that had appeared 
um, just in one of the regular because you know how Marvel did their just their standard kind of horror monster stories or whatever before they got into superheroes they'd just be eight page stories one of them was Aunt Hank Pym um, who made a shrinking formula and shrunk himself by accident and gets trapped by ants so I mean it was your standard Marvel story and then a little bit later they decided to take that character and turn him into a superhero so they brought him back and that same month uh, or it was either the same month or a month before, a month after that Ant-Man became a superhero. What saw also saw the debut debut of Spider-Man and Thor, and I think Human Torch got his own series in Strange Tales at that time. So I think that Thor. This was an intentional. Like they they saw the success of Fantastic Four which was sort of modeled after the success of the superhero books that DC was doing. And they're like, let's, let's um, create a whole bunch more superheroes and see what happens. So they did um, Spider-Man, who was a completely costumed superhero, because Fantastic Four wasn't. Yep. They took a pre-existing character and made him into Ant-Man. That was another test. And then they brought this mythological character, who I guess is sort of maybe marvel's superman i think the they have always tried to make him marvel superman yep. with varying degrees of success and uh, and and they're just going to see who that so i'm pretty sure that from the offset they were sure that they were going to continue with these for a little while um and then he got popular enough to join the avengers when they when stan was putting that book together i get what you're saying i don't know i just i think that it may not have been as intentional just because the first several issues are one-off stories they're sort of short the level of villain with the exception of the various versions of loki are are small right and as we go through this volume it picks up into to be continued stories and they start to tie into the greater marvel universe and that first bit there's no reference to to any of the to any of the other books um so i i wondered if they didn't need a couple issues to catch up to the success of this character that's possible i know that when stan started out most of his uh, when so when stan started these books most of them were just standalone stories i think it wasn't until fantastic four in the maybe in the 20s or 30s that they actually he actually started doing more to be continued ones uh and and that shows in this one as yeah well. i mean this was i think i think it's issue 99 is the first to be continued right um so they go almost 20 issues 17 issues before they they do any to be continued which is sort of why i think that that might have been the uh the, the piece there where that wasn't um wasn't meant to be a, like the ongoing character in this book like you said he ended up getting the whole book mm-hmm. to himself um and we know that yep. stan had other one-off plots for Thor, because randomly they have been pulled out of mothballs to fill in issues <laughs> all the way into the 90s. So. Yeah. Let's start talking about the issues here. Okay, well, we start with 83, which is Stone Men from Saturn, which is, I thought was a great book. And if there was ever an example of things being retconned and brought back, it's the Stone Men of Saturn, right. who are later the Cronians from Sia or Rhea. I think it's one of the other Rhea. Cronians from Rhea. And then most famously Korg, who ends up in World War Hulk and has most recently been in Thor Ragnarok. Mm -hmm. And then to try and explain away the fact that they originated as the Stone Men from Saturn 
were told that they had a secret base on a moon of Saturn <laughs> that they had used as the staging grounds for their invasion of Earth. I mean, other retcon pieces, we find out that Korg was among the stone men that Thor defeats in this first issue. Oh, so, really? <laughs> okay. Um, this is an issue that, from what we read, not every fan was keen on. It drags a bit. It definitely shows its age at points. But it's also an issue that has been revisited for some major uh, turning points in the Marvel Universe. So um, it has reverberated and it, it has had a lasting effect, not just because it introduced Thor. Well, and the interesting part here is that Thor, or sorry, it's Don Blake is a doctor. Oh, no, they don't even say that he's a... Oh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, he's, they a he's a doctor. They establish it very yeah. quickly that he's a doctor. He's a doctor in this issue who's um, visiting Norway and finds an ancient stick, and that gives him the power of Thor. And this has been retconned numerous times, and even in this one book, this one epic collection, it, it's like we don't really know when he gets the power of Thor. Does that mean he gets like the memories of Thor? It, and like we see in the tales of Asgard that Thor was a kid. So how does that fit into like Don Blake's life? And like, do they share? Is it the kind of like the Captain Marvel Rick Jones thing where they they're in separate dimensions, and then when he taps his cane, they kind of switch places or something like What's that? What's interesting is there are times in this volume where Don Blake seems to retain the memories of Thor when he's back to being Don Blake, yeah. or Thor seems to also be Don Blake simultaneously. And there are other times where you you get the sense that no, they are separate mm-hmm. entities. So um, I think that's probably one of those things that they had to sort of figure out as they went on and they hadn't quite resolved it before this this volume ends <laughs> yeah yeah well and then later on i think the retcon is that is that uh odin had exiled thor to earth in the in the human form of don blake and had to live his life as a as a mortal not knowing that he was thor until the time until the i guess to gain his worthiness back or something like that right yeah um Eventually, that is the story that comes out. Yeah. This issue only has Thor in it, though. There's no mention of Odin. There's no mention of Asgard. There's no mention of any of that. They only deal with Thor and and this magic cane that he, that he has, which turns into his hammer. And also Don Blake, who I think probably retained more from his uh, grade 7 social studies class than anyone ever, <laughs> based on what he remembers of Thor from, from back in school. Right. Well, I mean, if he he probably he's visiting in Norway. He probably visited the Thor Museum just before going just before this issue started. That that must be it. Uh, okay, so Larry Lieber does the script. Yeah, I think that was one of the comments that our, our Facebook fans were were making is that um, they didn't think Lieber was quite up to snuff with with Stanley. I don't know if that's a fair assessment. It's definitely different. Um, I I still think it. I think it. It's still great. Yeah. So and I think he works well with with Jack. Now what's interesting with Larry is that uh he Larry doesn't follow the Marvel method. The Marvel method was that Stan would have a basic plot outline and would hand that over to the penciler and the penciler it would be up to the penciler to to lay it out and create the flow of the story and then he would give the artwork back to Stan and Stan would create a script based on um, based on the images that he sees on the page. 
But yeah. Larry wasn't like that. Larry wrote a full script, like panel one, this is what happens, this is who says what, panel two, same thing, panel three, panel four. Uh, so you get a, a different relationship between writer and artist with Jack Kirby than we do in, in the other books. And I don't know if that restricts Jack because he then can't uh, lay things out the way that he really wants them to or the way he's used to. But that's, uh, that's one element here. Uh, I do want to play a little clip because I got to talk to Larry Lieber recently, and I've posted this interview on the website already, so you can hear it. Um, but I want to make sure this clip gets in here as well. They were they were doing Thor. He had to have a hammer. I figured, all right, Stan wants a hammer. I figured the hammer should have a name, and to, you know, rather than just saying my hammer, I, I don't know. Well, unless Stan told me to give it a name, or I made it. Uh, I don't know why. But I was always thinking of, of of other people, and the next person on the assembly line to make this comic would be the letterer. And I didn't want to give the letterer much to letter, you know? So I figured, all right, I'll make up a name, and I didn't know. This one I made up myself. I didn't get it from any book or anything. It just came to me. I said, I'll call it something, something mythical, or, or, you know, that makes no sense. I can say it's a... Is something different. I'll, make, I'll call it Uru. You are you. Yeah, that's that. It just came to me. <laughs> nice. So I called it the Uru Hammer. Now I call it this, and I don't remember whether I used that name in the first or the second, or I don't remember how many I wrote. A couple, I used it. When And I'm in the office one day when Roy Thomas, who is the editor, comes over to me. And he's carrying a book of Bullfinch's Mythology. Bullfinch's Mythology is the definitive guide of mythology. Okay. You know, I, I don't know who the hell Bullfinch was, but he wrote a book or something, mythology, on all mythology. And, he, and, he's, got, and he's turning the pages and he's got it and, he's, and he comes and he says, Larry, where, where in this book did you find the Uruhama? You know? <laughs> I said... I didn't find it in the book. I didn't look it up. I, I made it up. Well, he gave me a look like, what? Yeah. You had the unmitigated goal to, you know, to take it <laughs> upon yourself to make it up. You know, he, he, he was flabbergasted. You know, he couldn't say a word. He, he just looked at me and turned and walked away. <laughs> well, after that, he must have looked it up in Bullfinch's mythology. And he came up the real name as well, the Molgenaires. Some name I can't even pronounce. Right, Molnar yeah. Mol Molnir. Yeah, that's that's authentic. You understand? I mean, as authentic as it can be, considering there's no such person as Thor, as far as we know. <laughs> right. So he made that up. Okay. Okay. Uh, oh, and I understand that that in order to justify what Lieber the Fool had done, <laughs> they they say that Uru isn't the name of the hammer, but Uru is the metal it comes from. Right. So, a, so somebody explained it. Okay. All right. Now what happens, I go, years pass, and I get invited the first time to go to get the, what maybe what you call the Inkpot Award for drawing. And uh, while I'm there, they put me on a panel. And I'm on a panel with some good people, and I think this goddamn good writer who I'll never be, I'll never be a tenth as good. Uh, what's his name? Oh, shit, the guy who wrote uh, Cavalier and Clay. Uh, oh, Michael Chabon. Yeah, I mean, he's a good writer. This guy can write. Yeah. 
you know, he ain't okay. So I think he was on the panel too. I couldn't see who was there because they were all alongside me. So I'm sitting on the panel, and uh, uh, he might not have been on. He might have been on another panel, but uh, anyway, I'm mentioning him. And uh, the audience is asking questions. I don't remember who was moderating or anything. And somebody asked me, how did you come up with the Eurohammer? So I tell them the story just as I've told it to you. And I said the Uru and Roy Thomas's and it wasn't a da da da. And when I tell that story, I hear a woman's voice. There was there was some young woman who worked for DC Comics, I think, and she says, "You mean you don't know what Uru means? You didn't know what Uru means?" I, I said, to her, "How the hell do I know? I don't speak Norse mythology. I barely speak <laughs> English." Right. That was my answer. I thought I was cute. I barely speak English. She says, well, in Norse, in the Norse language, oh, that, that was what she said. You mean you don't know in Norse language what Uru means? Said, How the hell do I know? No, right. I'm not. I, 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 she says, well, in the, in the Norse language, Uru means strength and power. Whoa. It actually has a meaning. <laughs> So I didn't say. I said, "Well, I, I was. I didn't say anything. I was just flabbergasted." Amazing. I said, "Oh, that's nice. I'm glad." You know. Wow. Anyway, so that, that so that's my that's my Uru story. That's crazy. That, that in my ignorance, I, I I I I used an appropriate word. Thor stamps his cane once to turn into Thor. Stamps his cane twice to create rain or snow. Stamps his cane three times to end the storm that he just created when he stamped it twice. Um, oh, and he can stamp his cane once and turn back to Don Blake. And in a later issue, I think he stamps it a certain number of times to create antimatter. <laughs> his hammer can do so much. I actually think the hammer has lost some of its powers over the years. I don't it really know if has. he can control antimatter anymore. I don't think his hammer can travel through time anymore either. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, so this this issue is three parts. It's broken into three parts, but it's only uh, 13 pages. Um, the comic itself was, I don't know, 20 pages or something like that, but it had one, probably, usually a Steve Ditko uh, short story in, in the end here. So Thor did share the book with other stories, um, but it wasn't another superhero. And eventually those stories would be replaced by Tales of Asgard. Okay, so moving on to Journey into Mystery number 84. This one's called The Mighty Thor versus The Executioner. Uh, and in this one, Don Blake volunteers to go to San Diablo to give medical aid. This, this book, actually, I um, was initially disappointed just because when I read the title, I thought I was going to get the executioner with his axe. Right. And I didn't. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's um, the executioner turns out to be a communist and who uh, is, is just executing people against his firing wall. Uh, and that's what he tries to do to Thor. He kidnaps Don and Jane as they're on a, on a ship. Which on a is the game. first of the continuously recurring theme of Jane being imperiled in order to get Thor to stop being Thor. <laughs> right. Yes, that happens several times in this yep. book. So, in, and uh, you mentioned, or you alluded to earlier, that Jane changes constantly in yep. this book. 
What's her name in this one? She's Jane Nelson in, in this and in the next book, and then she is Jane Foster going forward. Very strange. So Jane Nelson is here um, in this book. And she also has orange hair, and later on she has brown hair. So does uh, Don Blake's hair in the first issue is orange, not, not bright oh, blonde. Yeah. But I was thinking that may just be a, a result of coloring the time. Maybe, or I wonder if they wanted to differentiate the Thor personality with the Don personality. Like, Thor definitely has blonde hair. That's it's true. not the same person. Yeah. Like they have a different face and everything. Anyway, this was uh this was an interesting issue. It was uh there was not much to it, but I really like Jack Kirby's artwork in this, just his style. He goes all out with uh just the the detail he puts in there, especially with the tanks that are being thrown around and such. And at the very end I like the fact that um the executioner is gunned down by his own men because he tries to escape with all the money. <laughs> I I like the two comments. I thought it was amusing uh, and so reflective of the time when the communists realize the Americans are our friends on page 33. Uh, yes. The Americans are our friends. They actually say it as they're getting down the executioner. I also was surprised at the like gruesome level of violence for a book of this year where the executioner is gunned down. And I mean, they don't, show you him being struck by bullets they show bullet holes in a wall and they they yeah. don't hide the fact that this is a this is a guy who is gunned down by several machine guns yeah. it's not just like one bullet like, it's like yeah, all of the is, men like, fire he's, rapidly he's apart pretty harsh and <laughs> yes. just for a book of this era where um you know they didn't tend to go to that extent in a superhero book yeah. i i i i was it took me by surprise. It's only one panel, but that was a a bit of a... Well, shock. then you should read more of the Sergeant Fury books. From well, no, era. I read the Sergeant Fury books, but that's not a superhero book, is my point. True, right? I like, guess not, yeah. Like, they had westerns that were that violent, and they had all those mm -hmm. horror comics at the time before the comics code uh, puts an end to all of that. But for a superhero book, if you read the other superhero books, especially the Marvel ones, that's not... You know, the Human Torch never burns anybody alive. Nobody's right. ever nobody's ever set on fire by the Human Torch. You know, here's a guy flying around yeah. on fire, but he doesn't ever burn any of the guys they're fighting. <laughs> but this villain here, well, it, it, I think it helps that it's it's villains taking care of other villains. It's not a hero well, that's doing yes. the machine gunning here. No, I know. I'm just saying. I was. Yeah. I just thought it's it true. was. It, it yeah. stood out to me. It did. Yep. So we get um, Thor the Mighty, and this is notable because it's the first Loki, although it's a weird Loki who, sorry, Thor the, the Mighty Thor, trapped by Loki, god of mischief. It's the first the first time we see Loki. The Loki on the cover is the one, more or less, the one we recognize. The, the Loki in the book, however, has like a, a terribly cheap cosplay that it looks like he picked up at a <laughs> dollar store with a sort of like weird dragon hat jester's hat i'm not really sure what what the deal is with that it's got the horns but yeah it's got spikes on it that make it look like it's like a yeah some sort of dragon or something also it's brown we're not used to seeing yeah. brown in, on loki and it's an interesting version of loki that i'm glad they didn't stick with and they evolved to this character quite quickly in this volume even mm -hmm. the they fleshed out loki a little bit more than the one that we have here but it's an interesting book loki uh we get Loki's origin story. We also get another first look at another one of the, the Asgardian gods, thankfully also somebody who was fleshed out and evolved in the Tales of Asgard stories in this volume, and that's yes. Hemdel, who yeah, yeah. is sort of like, I'm not sure 
carelessly wandering through the park and wanders past Loki the tree and <laughs> is assailed by a leaf. I know. <laughs> and, and, and like somehow the the leaf overcomes Hemdall and and that's what frees Loki. And then Loki's powers in this aren't really clear. They're they're odd. Like he stands among birds and can fly, but he can't just fly himself and he controls Thor and creates images, but I know. I thought it was the interesting. Also, interesting is in this one, he's just trying to cause mischief more than anything. Right. He's not really evil or a villain, and uh, that's something that changes pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah and he's uh, he's captured at the he's like imprisoned at the beginning of this issue. Through most of the the appearances of Loki in this book, he's actually captured. Yeah. And doing all of this stuff from afar. So, in, interesting way to build up an arch nemesis. In a way, in this way, to have him, you know, not actually interact with Thor the entire time. No, it, it was it's true. I mean, they even they even mention at one point that um, Loki is observing Thor's adventures, and yes. they change the context of some of those adventures in some of the the retconny flashbacks. Mm-hmm. While also telling us Loki was watching, <laughs> and you get them from Loki's perspective. Um, this is also the last time you have Jane Nelson. Oh yeah. This is the end of Jane Nelson, who reappears next issue as Jane Foster. So this is the issue where the hammer emits antimatter particles. Yes. Yep. And I don't exactly know what that means, but it turns people back... Because Loki turns people into negatives, Yes, which I don't quite understand either. But uh, <laughs> Thor twirls his hammer, or rotates his hammer. It's not, it, he doesn't swing it by its, uh, by its handle. Yeah, he actually has to twirl. <laughs> like he was playing a basketball. Um, Loki, though, he does—he turns people into negatives, and he later turns people into blanks. He really liked to play around with people's state of being mm-hmm. early on. It's kind of a cool visual trick that uh, that Kirby does. He he just kind of made a silhouette in ink, and then used an exacto knife or something to to etch away um, the the white parts of the characters on his on his Bristol board. Yeah, pretty sure that's how he made that image there. It's visually, it looks fantastic. Yeah. There, there is no mention of Thor and Loki being brothers at this point. No, none whatsoever. You, you get the sense that they're, I mean, they're not related; that they're enemies. And they say you... that they have a long history as well. Yeah. Which is also interesting. Like, does Don Blake know all of these past encounters? Uh, well, Don Blake. It's funny because Thor doesn't recognize Loki right away until he transforms and then like y- right. you you wonder if cuz Loki's surprised he doesn't recognize him in human form mhm so you wonder if that is the Don Blake effect at one point uh Loki tricks Th- Thor into not in, into letting go of his hammer and Thor turns back to Don Blake after 60 seconds which he does in like every issue in this volume I like that, though. Um, that added a level of tension. Yeah. There was more than once. In fact, there's an issue where they have a countdown clock going of the 60 right. seconds. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I like the tension that that built. Uh, it gets a little redundant, but in this issue, once he turns back to Don Blake, shouldn't his hammer turn back into his stick? Um, I don't know. They're, they're he inconsistent didn't, he about didn't that. He did tap it, though. But there are other times, like, let's say, later on when, um, when the Cobra captures his hammer in that machine that's true it turns back into a stick in the machine once don blake turns back in or once thor turns back into don blake 
So some more inconsistencies, but just because they haven't figured this stuff out yet. But I, I like pointing that stuff out. Well, I mean, the, yeah. <laughs> okay, another, the next one is uh, Journey into Mystery number 86. This is on the trail of the Tomorrow Man. And this is the introduction to a character that makes reoccurring appearances throughout Marvel history. It's kind of the, other than Loki, I guess, it's the first, his first villain. Yeah, uh, I I think this was the weakest of all the issues in this volume. <laughs> yeah, uh, including I don't understand why if you can build a time machine, you can't also build a bomb instead of building a time machine to then go back in time and get an ancient bomb. The whole premise is kind of silly. Uh, and yeah. also, we now know that he the bomb is the only weapon. Everyone keeps telling us he's got the only weapon, and so on. And then later, he attacks Thor with his like interdimensional ray gun. So he already had a weapon (laughs) as well. So he has now made a weapon and a time machine. And yet he used both his weapon and his time machine to go back in time and get a 2,000-year-old weapon. And then somehow the entire future is beholden to him because he has a grossly outdated carbon bomb. Well, even grossly outdated is better than no weapon, I suppose, if you're trying to take over the world. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just... Yeah, you'd think he'd... uh try to steal the plans to make a bomb so he can make more himself or something like that or go back to a different point in history when there are some better weapons well and he's got he's got mechanized robot warriors and he had a whole bunch of other weapons that he attacks thor with yeah i mean there's even like anything can be a weapon yeah you pick up a tree uh like this guy uh, i think Thor Thor does. Thor does. Thor picks up a tree that's there and whacks the whacks the bad guys and destroys their truck like there's a weapon. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean there's that but also I just if I'm smart enough to make a time machine, I feel like I could figure out how to make a rudimentary explosive. Yeah, true. Um it's interesting because weakest of the stories I thought, weakest of the villains in the book, at the beginning, his reappearance later he he recurs is is better. Yeah. And he has been somebody who has uh, trifled with many different heroes in the Marvel Universe and has come back numerous times since this, much more menacingly than this. So it's interesting that of all the characters, this one sticks. Mm-hmm. Korg and those stone men, yes, they come back later at key points, but there's a long 20-some-odd years before they ever pop up again. Right, And there are some, like poor man's versions of the scrolls later in this volume that yes. barely ever reoccur in the Marvel universe yeah so yeah yeah here's another thing that uh we're not too sure about um a robot can hold thor's hammer yeah because it's not an it's not a, a mortal being i guess or that robot's animal. really good it's worthy but uh, it's like i would wonder shouldn't it just kind of like fall to the ground and um and get stuck there I guess. Um, I don't know. I think that, again, is one of those we're not quite clear yet on all the rules we're creating for our character. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so. And Thor uses his hammer to travel back in time. This is important because it plays a little a little later. He has to get a special medal from, uh, from Odin. Odin gives him this little piece of metal, and he ties it to his hammer. And then by th- twirling his hammer with this metal on it, it allows him to travel through time. Uh, later on, he travels through time, and he doesn't have that metal. His hammer just does it. Yeah, the hammer just remembers. Yeah, it remembers, yeah. Okay, the next issue, what is this one? Prisoner of the Reds. Yeah. So we're back to fighting commies. <laughs> I thought this was the best 
um, use of the switching to human gimmick so oh, far. Totally. See. Yeah. So uh, once again, this one is more interesting. The commies are kidnapping scientists. Um, Don Blake wants to investigate, so he um, hypes up a face, fake discovery on his own part to attract the commie kidnappers. The kidnapper, of course, does arrive, kidnaps Don Blake, takes him off to their secret hideout, and where Don Blake transforms into Thor to mess them up, um, is forced to put his hammer down when innocent lives are threatened, and then is chained to a um, a machine. And this is where I thought it was quite clever. He waits the 60 seconds, returns to being Don Blake, who is much smaller than Thor, yep. allowing him to easily get out of the uh, restraints that were Thor-sized, mm-hmm. picks up his hammer, and is back to being Thor and foils. Um, the commies, who these commies were more fortunate than the executioner. They are not gunned down by their own men next to a wall, <laughs> yeah. which I, I thought was interesting. I like the fact that they're starting to reference people noticing like Don Blake's absence. You're getting several people. So again, the doctors, the four doctors are like, where's where's Blake? Did we forget him? And Thor's like, oh, I'll go get him. Don't worry, guys. He's, he must <laughs> yeah. have just fallen behind. Right. So I, I do I do appreciate that um, that piece. And you're starting to see why Don Blake might be worthy because you're getting a bit more of that character fleshed out as well. Because when he actually finds the cane the first time, he's hiding in a cave right. and trying to escape. So that, that, that doesn't really seem courageous or... Or anything like that, but this Don Blake, I'm going to go and find out. He's proactive and he's trying to take some sort of action to assist um, innocents. I was curious though. Thor is threatened by like in the previous issue, he's confident he can survive standing next to a bomb, so that they can <laughs> test what the bomb does to a body. But in this issue, he's fearful that a shark will eat him, which <laughs> leads me to wonder like. Are sharks more powerful than bombs in the Marvel Universe? Whoa. Then Sharknados are like, that's the worst thing that could happen in New York. But does that not reframe your your thinking of how powerful Namor must be if he has (laughs) bomb-level sharks? If he controls the sharks. He who controls the sharks controls the world. Right. Oh, important to to note that this is the first time we see Odin in this issue. Yes. Yeah, he, he calls to Odin, or he prays to Odin, I think, to help him on this. And Odin gives him that medal to teleport. But that, yeah, this is the first Odin. So, Oh, going back to the first Loki story, I forgot to mention, there's a great little throwaway line from Jane about how Loki seems um, dashing and romantic, (laughs) which I only found ironic knowing that the current movie Loki, Tom Hiddleston, is seen as dashing and romantic. Right. Which I don't think was ever the intention no, of that character. Loki was never portrayed as dashing or romantic. And the Loki in the book, in his goofy gesture of it, is neither dashing nor romantic. But this yeah. throwaway line happens as if it's like the world's most fluky foreshadowing ever. <laughs> wow, yeah. Well, that and that just goes... that You chalk that up to the way Stan wrote Jane because her only lines have to do with how she swoons over Dawn... Or everybody, ha- or or over everybody, everybody. yeah. Every she every single man she comes by, <laughs> yeah. Jane really wants to get married, yeah. Which is interesting because she has a career, which in the nineteen sixties was progressive. Well, I think it's a, it's a it's a euphemism. Getting married is a euphemism here. <laughs> she just wants to sleep around. <laughs> Maybe, but they can't say that in this comic in the nineteen sixties. They, they gun someone down. Well, this was an era where, you know, you couldn't show a married yeah, couple in the same bed at, at a, in a sitcom on TV or something. Yeah. 
Okay, the next one, uh, Thor, starring in The Vengeance of Loki. Here we have another Loki issue, another Loki story, and it picks up exactly where the last one left off, um, where the last Loki story left off, because Thor had thrown Loki all the way to Asgard. And this is the one where you see Loki has observed Thor. But you've already got one of your first retcons, because when Loki arrives this time, he's all tied up. Whereas in the when Thor, he was thrown, he wasn't bound. Uh-huh. But you see him landing in that first panel. His arms are bound behind his back. Right. And so already you've got little tweaks to previous stories. In, in this one, Loki spies on Thor and figures out his secrets. And he gets by Heimdall by turning into a snake and slithering between his legs. Like, this Heimdall is not good at his job. Not at the beginning. Nope. No. The, he really redeems himself uh, in those Tales of Asgard stories later on, which we'll get to. Uh, but in this one, Loki, again, is just a trickster. He's just yep. kind of doing things to, to mess with Thor because uh, he just wants to be annoying. Uh, and in, this is the first time Thor goes to Asgard. We see him um, actually physically take Loki there at the end of this story. Yes. Although there's only one panel, so he doesn't spend very much time there. But it's still notable for his, his first trip home. This was a, I don't know, this wasn't that exciting of a story. Didn't really care for this one. I thought it just seemed very repetitive from the first Loki story right down to more pigeons. <laughs> exactly. It's very so, true. You could almost, if they hadn't been careful, Loki would have become god of pigeons instead of god of mischief. Yeah. No, I, I thought this was also, I can see how some of the fans were a bit tired if they didn't read through the whole thing of just this version of Loki is not as menacing. Well, and I think uh, reading it on a monthly basis when they first came out would be a whole lot different than trying just to plow through 500 pages of of these early Thor issues all at once. Because you have... We've already had two communist issues and two Loki issues. Two two Loki pigeon issues. Yep. (laughs) And and that's it. I mean, that's... And... One Tomorrow Man. And One Tomorrow Man. And some Rockman. Which wasn't very good. Stone Man of Saturn. So... There, there hasn't been a whole lot of variety. No. So this, this brings us to number eighty-nine, the, the Thunder God and the Thud, the Thug, which is my favorite of the covers so far. I think it's gorgeous. Oh, it's a great cover. In real life, I've been on a bit of a kick trying to get my hands on some uh, of the older Kirby images. Um, and if there are fans with extra copies of this kicking around and want to mail it into us, you go right ahead. <laughs> of um, Journey to Mystery number 89. It's, it's gorgeous. <laughs> yep. Um, for sure. Well, in its simplicity, so. right? It's a, it's just it's just a great shot of Thor. There's no villain. There's no action. There's just no the city skyline dialogue. in the background. No, it's, it's just a nice drawing. Yeah. So, yeah. And this is, this is again, not a high level villain. It's, it's just Thor dealing with some, some gangsters or some monsters. So it's, it's different. Uh, Donald Blake is forced to treat a, a wounded mob boss. Thug. His name is actually Thug Thatcher. <laughs> his, actual, his real name is Thug Thatcher. But I think that's classic Stan Lee. Uh, oh, with for the, sure. Uh, the alliteration. With the alliteration. Yeah. In fact, it's amazing we didn't end up with like Jane Johnson. It's true, yeah. Or um, Bob, well, Don Blake doesn't. Or, or Bob Blake. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, um, it's, just, it's an interesting little piece there. And again... They force, well, in this case, they force Don Blake to do something because Jane's imperiled, yep. um, which is that recurring Jane. Jane is almost a hindrance in this uh, more often than a help. You think that the amount of time she's been kidnapped and threatened and nearly killed, that she'd have some serious like PTSD, PTSD. or something yeah. like that? Or at the very least, start carrying some mace. 
or stay away from Don Blake. Like, this guy's trouble. Yeah. Uh, and this is, again, Odin intercedes uh, in this yes. book. Odin once again intercedes. So we're seeing that Don Blake is aware that he is Thor and is able to make some sort of connection with Asgard because he, he again, uh, appeals to Odin for assistance. So. The origin is retold in this issue for the third yes. time in this book so far. Yep. And there's a really funny sequence where Jane daydreams about being Thor's wife. Polishing the hammer. <laughs> Polishing if you the wanted, hammer. So if you're going to read the being married as uh, some innuendo, yeah. then is polishing the hammer also Absolutely. Some, some terrible innuendo? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like that's... Uh, she has her own career and stuff, but her real dream is being a housewife. And I feel like that's such a 1960s things to say <laughs> yeah not that there's anything wrong with being a housewife if you if you are one or if you're aspiring to be one it's just an interesting way to write this character it's a very interesting way to write this character yeah, it's, it's like her, her daydream is ironing his cape <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> oh boy okay and okay one last thing here that i want to say about this one is that um oh two things actually uh, thor stamps his hammer four times to call forth lightning so we have, like, how does the hammer know, or how does, yeah, how does the hammer know how many times Thor is going to stamp his hammer? Because after one stamp, shouldn't he instantly turn back to Don Blake or instantly turn into Thor? Yeah, uh, I maybe because he says it out loud first, I'll stamp my hammer four times and do this. <laughs> and then he and has then, to do it And then the owner is like, oh, okay. I, the wait. hammer understands. <laughs> and then um, at the very end of this issue, Thor mind wipes Thug Thatcher's girlfriend so that she will not remember any of her memories of Thug Thatcher and be able to uh, live a normal life without being involved in the mob. Lucky girl. Yeah. Um, this It's interesting that he can mind wipe her, but he can't mind wipe the guys in his office at the beginning of this issue. He has to instead distract them by putting a costume on a mannequin and hurling it through the sky. <laughs> so they watch that fly through the sky and then he sneaks in a window and changes into being Don Blake. Yeah. So he can't mind wipe them from seeing he was Thor, but he can mind wipe someone from remembering they were a monster. And, and being able to mind wipe would be very handy in a number of these situations here, because like every time Jane gets mad at him for disappearing, oh, just mind wipe the fact that he disappeared and she wouldn't be angry <laughs> at him yeah, anymore. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I don't know if he mind wipes anyone ever again. It's like a convenient deus ex machina that they throw into this one issue that yeah. they, they leave out later. Okay, Journey into Mystery number 90. So these are your poor man's Thor, uh, scrolls. Yes. Trapped by the carbon copy man. First of all, it, it doesn't really make sense as a title. It's numerous carbon copy men. And they're not called the carbon copy men. They are, um, they are actually called the Zartans, um, I think is what they're called. Right. It's, um, well, it's a name that you, aliens wouldn't give themselves because carbon paper is an yeah. Earth device. Yes. Um, but you get the Zartans, and they don't, um, I don't know, they don't present much threat in the end. I mean, they trick people at first, and they they cause mischief and villainy. But they're to me, they're like a weaker version of, of Loki, or a really weak version of the Skrulls. And it's interesting, because they come around. The Skrulls only existed, like, in the Fantastic Four for less than a year before this. Yeah. And um, instead of just using the Skrulls, we've got another group of shape-shifting aliens looking to 
conquer Earth, but these ones yeah. don't seem to click with the public the way. Well, they don't look cool because the scrolls those have such a visual. Those original scrolls didn't look cool either. Absolutely, they did. Those they original scrolls are goofy as anything. They look they, like uh, they a, look like anorexic versions of the aliens from Toy Story. But at least they have a design. They have the, they have a, a look to them. These are just orange people. One with a goofy mustache. These guys have fancy Thundercat costumes. They are not fancy. They are they are plain and ordinary. <laughs> but anyways, regardless, they don't um, they don't click. They have a few instances of reoccurring in the Marvel universe later. Oh, yeah. um, very rarely they they show up briefly to tussle with She Hulk. They they have another go with X Factor in in the nineties, but that's basically it for these guys. Yeah. Um, and then I'm pretty sure just in an attempt to maintain copyright, they have shown up in more than one yeah, like yeah. Marvel Universe A to Z sort of encyclopedia thing. They right. are in there in like a little sidebar with someone's <laughs> bad costume. Miscellaneous aliens. Yeah. Um, but they haven't actually shown up at any point ever. Yeah. Um, well, that's probably for the better. We sure. have the scrolls, and that's really all. Maybe, we really maybe need. Ed Brisson, who might be listening, who's currently taking over a bunch of different Marvel titles would like to bring back the Zartans. Yeah. So if you can find a way to make them different than the Skrulls, because right now they're, they are exactly the same, even to like, we want to take over the world and stuff. And even this ending of this issue where they turn the Zartans into trees so that they won't bother anybody and then hypnotize them so that they, they just, uh, Oh no. What does he say? Um, trees don't think so the Zartans won't think to make themselves back into right aliens they'll stay trees and so at the end of the very first issue of uh, with the scrolls reed richards turns the scrolls that are there into cows and hypnotizes them into thinking that they are actually cows so they can't transform into anything else it's, it's like exactly the same sort of thing here i would like to point out though that thor's solution for bad guys seems to be to make them into trees because he did it to loki at the beginning the very first loki loki is stuck as a tree it has been for quite some time because of thor Thor stuck him in a tree and that's one (laughs) of the reasons he's annoyed with thor right so thor seems to use trees to imprison people it is a fairly effective way to imprison people though i don't know i've never actually turned anyone into a tree you should try that sometime this is how you deal with your children <laughs> okay one other thing i want to note here is that this issue is the first one not drawn by jack kirby this one's by al hartley and al uh did a few issues of thor here um, but mainly what i know him from is archie comics because he drew a lot of archie comics yeah i i like his thor i found his don blake a bit too archie-ish um, he's just not as strong in his in in this style. He's a very very competent Archie artist, and in the eighties, in the seventies and eighties, he actually drew a string of Archie comics for a Christian comic book publisher, where all of the Archie characters were Christians and tried to spread the gospel and that kind of thing, and he would adapt, make little one issue adaptations of famous Christian books. And I, I'm a sucker for those. I love those. They're, they're so cheesy and campy, but they're they're really funny. And uh, and he does a great job in those. He's a competent artist, but you don't see that here. Maybe this is well, too early I mean, in his He's career. also the first guy having to follow Kirby. It's That's kind of rough. That like, is, yeah. Like being the guy who takes over as point guard for the Bulls after Jordan. Or, <laughs> yeah, right. Right? So. Okay, so the next issue here is um, issue number 91. This one's called Sandu, Master of the Supernatural. 
and uh, we have a different artist, Joe Sinnott. Yes. And Joe Sinnott is more famously known as an inker, and he inked uh, Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four for a long time. And when we were reading uh, the uh, those other Thor volumes, Sinnott was the main inker over Ron Frenz's pencils. Yes. But he actually he actually drew this this one, drew it and inked this issue himself. This was before he settled in as a primary, as primarily as an inker. So just before we go into this issue, um, I actually did, he, Joe Sin is still around, and I got to talk to him quite a while ago, but I never released this interview, but I have a little clip of him talking about uh, working on Thor. What is a Stanley script like? When you were doing those issues of Thor, or any of the, the westerns and stuff, what kind of script did he give you? Oh, the scripts were, they were pretty comprehensive. No, although they didn't have to be. In other words, e- even when we got into Spider-Man, Stan's script would say, Joe, uh, splash page, he, he typed in splash page, show uh, Spider-Man leaping off a fire escape onto two burglars in the alleyway. Now, you could draw that a hundred different ways, whichever way you think is best, you know, because... He leaves, Stan leaves it up to you as far as uh, telling the story, you know. But every panel, he would say, show, show Spider-Man uh, flying through the air and uh, he's chasing uh, the Green Goblin or something. And here again, you, uh, you, can, you see it a hundred different ways. Uh, you know, as an artist, you do this. You, you see that picture. And right before you, so you choose the one you feel will make the best, the best picture, and uh, enough to vary, to vary the the the, uh, the page. You don't want everything to look alike. You want to vary your shots: far shot, you know, uh, close up, down shot, up shot, whatever. But you got to vary vary your shots. That's what Bird Hogarth used to say out at the uh, the school i found it interesting that joe draws the handle of the hammer quite a bit longer than uh, kirby yeah it's very long it's not quite uh liefeldian <laughs> but uh it, it is quite a bit longer so. right well it's like the length of his arm yeah yeah so in this issue, Loki is back, and he increases the power of this carnival mind reader named Sandu without Sandu knowing it. And Sandu's just all of a sudden like, oh, look at all the stuff I can do. I'm going to use it to take over the world and get all this money and stuff. And so he does. And again, it's just Loki causing mischief. Yep. And uh, I, f- I find it funny that at the end, Sandu gets the power of teleportation as well and starts like transporting buildings and stuff uh, to the moon. Um, I like the fact that he attempts and fails to lift the hammer, so we know he's a bad guy for sure. Yeah, that was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's not worthy. Um, that that was an interesting part, too, because he, when he try, he uses all of his newfound power to try and lift the hammer, but it short-circuits his brain or sends sort of yep. a little feedback loop or something and, uh, and cancels out Loki's powers. Not sure how that works, but that's how these Silver Age comics work. No, it's true. Okay, so... In at one point, Sandu places a building on top of Thor, and so Odin sends some Valkyries to bring Thor his magic belt of strength. 
which um, Stan notes that it's an actual item. It actually is one of Thor's mythical items. He has um, a hammer and a belt. And man, one more thing. I can't remember what it was. I should have looked it up before I did this episode. He has a couple of different magic items that he always has, but Marvel only focuses on the hammer. Usually. Usually, except for this one issue. He has an armor in later issues. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> his body is glass or something. Uh, okay. Uh, I thought it was too bad. Like, for all the different characters in this that evolve and grow into other things, Sandy doesn't... Like, I think Sandy should have become Mysterio. <laughs> yeah, well, there are lots of different Sandu-type villains. Yeah. But um, he's kind of a, a little bit of a dated cultural reference now as well. well the whole book is dated. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, Loki is clearly establishing himself as Thor's main uh, arch nemesis because he gets two issues back to back. Yeah. Um, he is the next one as well. The day Loki stole Thor's magic hammer, which... Um, the title really, is fairly it's on vague. the nose. <laughs> it's vague what's going to happen in this book. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's interesting, this, this issue. And again, um, we're switching art teams. Or no, we're not. We're here, sorry, we're just in it again. But yeah, Robert Bernstein now takes over as scripting this one. Yeah. I find that Robert Bernstein writes a lot. He packs it, his it panels gets with uh, with a lot of words. No, it did. It got a bit. It got a bit wordy. We're um, we're heading back to Asgard um, again in this issue. We have to deliver Loki. Or is it? No, this is the one where we start on Asgard, isn't it? Yes. Um, this is our and first is, one. Um, we're not Earthbound. This is Frigga. Yes. The Queen and and Heimdall. And uh, yeah, so yeah, this is the one where Loki Loki uses his magic to attract Thor's hammer, which I don't again, it, how why why does Thor's hammer react this way? I'm not too sure. But he does. And so he he attracts the hammer so that it goes all the way to Asgard and smashes into his chains because the chains are also made of the same uh, Yuru metal. metal that the hammer is. So now we Thor do, is free. They did I reference... Mean, Loki is free. In Loki's first appearance, that he has some sort of mental connection to the hammer. Loki tells us that at the beginning okay. of his first appearance. I have a mental connection to Thor's hammer. I can find Thor thanks to his hammer. Hmm. Um, so I suppose maybe his mental connection lets him summon the hammer. I'm not entirely... And if that's the case, why sure. hasn't he done it in any of the other issues we've seen so far? He was waiting to spring this trap. Yeah. I'm only pulling out this is my ace in the, in the hole. Yeah. So in this one, because Thor doesn't have his hammer, he takes a tree that is attacking him, a living tree, and makes his own wooden hammer. And I'm like, that's like, that reminds me of uh, Avengers Infinity War with the Groot hammer. Stormbreaker. Yeah. Except that he kills Groot in this one to make the hammer. Yeah, poor Groot. Um, I do like the fact that he karate chops a tree, though. <laughs> yes, he does. And it's just, it's a, it's a smooth cut. He also chisels out another um, hammer out of Yuru metal with his fingers. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah. he No, he's pretty good at making hammers. Yep. I think it's just fortunate that that wasn't a Zartanian tree that he accidentally... Well, you don't know it wasn't. It could have... Well, no, no, those are on Earth. This is on yeah. Asgard. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, let's move on to Journey into Mystery number 93. Radioactive Man, um, a prominent Marvel villain, yep. makes his appearance. Um, he's, he's intense in this book. 
I, I think that he ties in very much to the fears of radioactivity and nuclear bombs and all that, that was going on at the time. Yep. The Cold he, War. He's definitely a, a Cold War era villain who has evolved. I think he's actually the most menacing of the Thor villains in this book. Uh, I think so. I mean, there's when you later on when Cobra and Mr. Hyde start tag teaming, I think that yeah, but they needed each other. True. Yeah, this and, guy, this guy's a force to be reckoned with for sure. Um, and I like the fact that he's uh, a Chinese scientist, and um, but he 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 came up with this method for for using radiation to give himself more power. And in typical communist fashion he keeps it for himself <laughs> instead yeah. of sharing it with yeah. everybody um and that's why he's a villain um but yeah i mean this was a this was a this was a good issue i liked the i liked just the the way that the the radioactivity interacted with thor's hammer and with thor and, and um how he kind of had to be creative to defeat this guy i um i enjoyed Synot's two issue run but having Kirby back on this issue made a difference. Kirby just brings uh, an energy to the panels that, I don't know, suits Thor, in my opinion. There are so. some very dated uh, visuals in this one, though. Jack Kirby draws yes. Asians with... Uh, you know, and the Asian faces themselves are not that typical, except they all have Spock eyebrows. That's yep. a fairly stereotypical thing. And then the fact that they're just kind of yellow pale is something that... Uh, we no longer do these days. No. Nope. So we have to, we, again, and these are one of the things I'd love my boys to read some of the older issues. I'm happy if they're reading comics, but you have to explain some of these things when you come across these issues like this one. Yep. I do like the fact that Thor is once again mind-controlled. Yes. Um, also, I didn't realize radiation gave you mind control powers, but um, it is a thing. <laughs> Thor seems susceptible to being tricked or mind controlled. Loki does it. Um, Radioactive Man now does it. You're going to see it again later in this volume. Um, so clearly, Thor is not mentally tough. <laughs> yeah, so. he gets taken over too easily. Yeah. He also shoots lightning from his hammer without stamping it four times in this one he stamps it zero times it just happens yeah well that you that you see maybe he's stamping it off panel in between the frames yeah I suppose so yeah or he's just like on on his palm or something <laughs> and i love at the end he creates a tornado with his hammer and whirls the radioactive man away into the desert and then there's a giant nuclear explosion. <laughs> Radioactive man explodes at the end of this one. Um, an atomic explosion. Yeah. With zero fallout. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky. Well, the radioactive man himself going through crowds of people in residential or like the urban city center of wherever they are, New York. Yeah, he's um, not so radioactive. There's no fallout at all yeah. <laughs> from anyone standing near him. Okay, Journey into Mystery 94, Loki, Thor and Loki attack the human race. Yeah, so one, once again, here's that mental toughness issue. Um, Synod is back on pencils after one issue of, of Kirby. Yep. Um, and this one, Loki, <laughs> this is great, Loki injures Thor by smacking him with his own hammer in a way that turns Thor evil. It affects that part of the brain that changes your personality. Yep. 
And then they go on a little bender and uh, start uh, <laughs> destroying famous monuments, taking over the UN. Hey, concur- this was a fun issue, actually. We, I like this we did not know enough about concussions back in the day, clearly. I mean, it's become a big thing with the NFL and the NHL, and there's more and more focus on, on traumatic brain injuries. And um, clearly, as this issue shows you, traumatic brain injuries are serious. They can change they you can, from hero to yeah, villain. They can turn you evil. That's bad news. Yeah. So don't get hit in the head with a hammer, people. That's your safety tip of the, the month from the Epic Marvel podcast. Don't get <laughs> hit in the head with a hammer. Or don't hit anybody else in the head with a hammer. Yeah, That's that, not good that, either. That too. That's not safe for them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so there's a missile at the beginning of this issue that gets launched into space but goes off course. And the only person they can call, the whole world calls Thor in many different languages to try and attract Thor. And I just was thinking about this. And yeah, Thor is actually kind of their only um, only intergalactic hero at the moment. All of the other heroes in the Marvel Universe at this time are Earthbound. And Fantastic Four... They started off in space, but their adventures up to this point have been pretty much in, in on, on Earth. Yes. Or like in the negative zone or something like that until they get to the Inhuman Saga and they start going into outer space more that way. Yep. But yeah, so that makes sense. They would be calling Thor here. But uh, Loki's still captured. He's still doing everything. I think, everything he's, I think he's, he's chained to the Executioner's wall, actually. <laughs> the Executioner's dead, so he's, he can't shoot him. Yeah. This is the first issue, I think, um, that is identified that Loki and Thor are brothers. Yes. And it also really involves Odin for the yeah. first time. Like, it's not just Odin shows up and sends little bits to help. Odin yammers on a lot in this issue. He does. And he's out of his throne. Like, he's actually gone to the scene to, yes. uh, to, to deal with things. Yep. So that's good. Um, but yeah, you know, this is the issue where, where they... The brothers briefly work together to try to take over the world. Yeah, they menace Earth, that's for sure. Um, yeah, this is, and this is the first one where you see that Loki's aspirations are actually bigger than just causing mischief. Uh, they're, they're really developing. And so when I was reading this one, this was the first time I was like, wow, Loki, Loki's been captured this whole time. Like he's been locked up either at the beginning or the end of every single issue here. Uh, and but uh, and we see him his threat kind of get more and more menacing, starting at this point. Yes, he's also graduated from pigeons to dinosaurs and walking sphinxes. So, well, you know, you gotta gotta expand your arsenal at some point. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to be a true villain, um, I'm gonna say pigeons aren't the the ideal <laughs> <laughs> weapon. <laughs> even even if you put laser beams on their their heads. Journey into Mystery, number 95. Demon Duplicator. So kind of like the carbon copy uh, story, you've got um, a villain who creates duplicates of things. In this one, it's a guy with a a sort of ray gun, and he can duplicate anything. And it's an interesting premise. He duplicates Thor and also the enchanted hammer. Yeah. So Thor has to fight an evil Thor with two enchanted hammers. Two hammers. hammers. (laughs) But it's not just that. He also does things like duplicates airliners so that there's extra people in peril to distract real Thor. That's so funny. Also, he he duplicates alley cats. I'm not entirely sure the motivation behind that. Well, Um, that was just a test, I think. But he, um, but if he can do 
like non-living objects than test on something more useful than alley cats, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but anyways, no, it's um, it's an interesting premise. I enjoyed this issue. I thought this one was fun. I, I like the idea of Thor fighting double hammer Thor. Yeah. And I like the fact that it's just a, a human villain using science to fight mythological gods. Now, at the beginning of this issue, this guy, Dr. Zaxton, he, he goes after Don Blake because he saw Don Blake... He was he was demonstrating Don Blake's newest invention, this android, and I'm like, Don Blake is a doctor. He is not a roboticist or anything like that. He, it, it's a it's a it's a medical android. Curtis, it's yeah. <laughs> it involves no robotics. Oh, no robotics <laughs> at all. Okay, yeah, it was. Uh, it's not consistent with everything we know about Don Blake I, I think so far. That the term doctor is a little bit fluid this early on. But it hasn't been in this book, though. This book, he was strictly a medical doctor. He's also a spy. This was... That's nothing to do with (laughs) being a doctor, though. But this one, it's like he created a robot that has invincible skin. Yes. Yeah, it's true. It's... uh, This is far beyond... Like, this... I could see Reed Richards creating something like this, but not Don Blake. Um, I love the ending to this issue, where Dr. Zaxton creates oh so the other thing is that when you make a a duplicate of an inanimate object it's just a straight duplicate but if you make a duplicate of some sort of actual living thing um it's an exact duplicate except it's the evil version of it yes although i think uh, we don't know it might be the evil version of that airplane yeah i guess (laughs) that's true yeah we don't really know it hasn't told us but in this one zaxton accidentally makes a duplicate of him or he doesn't accidentally he makes a duplicate of himself so that thor will capture the duplicate yes but the duplicate since he's evil the duplicate's good yeah but then zaxton accidentally falls off of a dam and uh, and dies and so the only so the good Zaxton is left to create a better world. I thought that was I a like the great fact, though, that ending. Good Zaxton makes no effort to save bad Zaxton. <laughs> yeah. So he's not super good. He's 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 like he's okay. Well, you know, he just existed like two seconds ago. Probably took him a few minutes to get his bearing on okay, reality. So disoriented so, is yeah, what you're saying. Like, okay. What 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 am I? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay, number 96. Yeah, we mix mythologies in this one. Uh, yeah, this one's called Mad Merlin. and uh, Defying the magic of Mad Merlin. Defying the, yeah, the Mighty Four, defying the magic of Mad Merlin. And Merlin is, has been dead for a thousand years and is in this coffin that has now come to, have, has come to New York. They should have put him in a tree. It would have been way safer. I guess they didn't have that technology back then. But anyway, so he he reveals Merlin reveals that he hasn't been dead this entire time for a thousand years. He's just been waiting for the right moment to come back, and he's now come back, and he's going to take over the king of New York, who happens to be JFK. And so Thor has to stop him. There are a lot of different Merlins in the Marvel universe. Yes, because he comes back from time to time, and like sometimes he's good, sometimes he's bad. Yep. I know the Captain Britain gets his powers from Merlin. And I think Merlin, was Merlin involved in some of those Doctor Strange issues that we, the Stephen Englehart ones that we were reading as well? So yes. I think he, that was, I don't think that was the same Merlin. Okay. Yeah, this was, this one was okay. This was not a, yeah. This issue kind of really bogged down. It was overly wordy. There was so much um, unnecessary text exposition and that kind of stuff throughout this entire issue. Um, it wasn't one of my favorites in the book. No, I would I would agree. 
it's um it either needed to be stretched over a pair of issues or needed to edit down its exposition interesting to note though that merlin identifies himself as a mutant yes um and i i'm i guess this is probably around the time that x-men first started coming out as well um otherwise because mutant really wasn't used it ter- as a term in this context um before x-men okay let's move on to a super special issue journey into mystery number 97 i don't know if i'd have called it special but i like the lava man which is literally the title of this issue well i think it's special because jack kirby is back well there's that yeah and it's the first issue with tales of asgard um, oh, that's right. Okay, well, I take it back. This is special. This it's is super special. This is our first Tales of Asgard. I like the fact that Loki just remembers he has a Lava Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. It's like, oh, but, yeah, oh I, yeah, I have a Lava Man. I, I should send it this. to attack Thor. Do something about that. Um, so I, I like it, but I like the Lava Man. I thought he, he was a fond and imposing villain um, or henchman as sort of a, a, a foil. And this issue really spends some time delving into jane foster's neuroses oh yeah there's a significant amount of that um i also like the fact that they're they're playing up the like newspapers are i mean they they played an important role through much of the marvel universe and definitely spider-man in this issue they're in a few issues the the newspapers are a thing but i like the fact that the army takes a crack like you get newspapers as a as a plot point to fill you in on information you can yep. read the headlines so instead mm-hmm. of just using the constant exposition pieces or dialogue that's what they, they should have done in the merlin to, issue yeah they found another way to give you some some background information yeah it's a good device um and i like the fact that this time the whole world doesn't immediately panic and phone thor they try and solve it first on their own so but then they fail they should have called thor first right away i feel like we needed to at least try um thor needs some downtime this is the the this is a turning point you mentioned um about the, the the whole Jane Foster situation, um, but this is the first issue where Th- Odin outright says to Thor, "You are not allowed to marry her." Yes, and that causes um, some ongoing tension throughout the rest of this book and later, and throughout the several issues after that. Yep, and I like that. It's like because he's he's Don Blake still. Yep, he's not all like he's the immortal Thor needs to abide by those, those rules of, of the gods, but he's still immortal. So he still falls in love with a mortal being, a mortal woman and has to, to wrestle with the fact like, what does he actually have to, what is he going to do? Does he give up being Thor? Does he tell Thor? Does he tell Jane that he is Thor? He's not allowed to do that. Odin says, and like, it's kind of a crap situation for him. Yep. No, it's true. But it is it, it we've we've upped the ante on the involvement between the two characters, and that continues. Well, I mean that continues for all of Thor's existence. <laughs> yes, um, but it is um, it is again the situation. Yeah, here in this case yeah. though, I think Odin actually meant marriage. I don't think it was an innuendo. Yeah, <laughs> I want grandkids, Thor. Come on, but, but not not from her. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. We, we don't want any hybrids like that Hercules fellow. Oh yeah. Um, I I think this is this is where I really think Thor starts picking up. I think the title "Super Special Issue" is is good because I think that I don't know what it is about it, but Stan had a more definite vision of where he wants to go now. I feel like they found their footing with the yep. Radioactive Man, 
Um, yeah. But, but, but they yes. still had a clunker like me, uh, the Merlin issue and stuff. But leftover plot. From going, from going forward, the leftover plot, yeah, right. <laughs> from going forward, though, we, we get introduced to a number of reoccurring good villains. The stories are more compact and concise, and, and Thor is more consistent himself. Yes, that's true. We also start to get more of a serialized book. Yeah, stories start to carry over. We're not getting just thirteen-page stories. Yeah, the very first tales of Asgard. Yeah, home of the mighty Norse gods. This was a this was a nice treat. Yeah, no, it was. Like I said, I always enjoy these. I enjoyed them in the Defalco run as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this one in particular is, is great because it's the first one. Man, it, it's it is it's fun. It's really well drawn. I I think it reminds me a lot of like a. Uh, Conan or uh, um, that kind of story just in, in the action in the the visuals and I think it's sure we don't get more of this kind of story now and it's nice because it's only like four or five pages what is this yeah it's just five pages so we only get the bare essential information that we need to know um, and then we move on to something else um, and and like we get so far in Thor we haven't really touched anything we know of Odin, we know of Asgard, and we know of like Heimdall. Uh, yeah, Heimdall and um, Frigga, and that's it. Yeah. So, in this one story right here, we get introduced to a bunch of the different um, the different realms. We get introduced to Surtur, uh, we the Frost Giants. Like all of a sudden, the mythology goes from very minimal to all of a sudden. Stan's pulling out all the stops here and that's what the purpose of these ones are for so I can see why people really really attach to this because it's different it's new it's exciting it's world building yeah Yeah. it's really cool and I love I love seeing in the last panel the tree Yagdusil or however you pronounce that (laughs) Um, it's great yes it's a beautiful visual of the tree engulfing the earth while growing out of it yeah Moving on, Thor, challenged by the human Cobra. Who is later known as King Cobra. King Cobra, that's right. And he starts here as the human Cobra, and then, um, and he, he is a prominent B-list villain throughout the Marvel Universe. Yeah, used to great effect in Mark Grunewald's Serpent Society. Yes. Yep. But uh, Don Heck is penciling this issue. He inked the last one, but he's actually on full pencils and inks for this issue here. And in this issue, um, Don Blake travels to Bombay for no real reason, except he needs to get away because uh, he just has to forget about Jane for a little bit. But anyway, um, this other guy tests some experiments on himself and becomes the human cobra. I think if you want a second safety tip from the Marvel Epic podcast after don't hit hammers or heads with hammers, don't test science on yourself. And and that's a theme in all Marvel comics. Starting uh, with Fantastic Four number one. And and, and Bruce Banner. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't go well for Bruce or for Ant-Man. It's just a, an ongoing thing. Radioactive Man had this issue. Well, Ant-Man tested it on himself. but I know, um, it doesn't go well, though. Hulk didn't test it on himself. He put the bomb far away. It's true. To be safe. <laughs> That's true. But then he had to go closer to it as it was exploding. So that was bad news. Either way, the point is don't be the subject of an experiment. So one of Cobra's signature moves is that like he wraps himself around 
his villain to try and squeeze them but he doesn't do that in this book no that doesn't come until a little later i think because uh he just kind of sticks to the ceiling and uh he slithers around a lot but he's um you, I get the feeling like he could be a menacing villain, but he doesn't come off quite as menacing here in this first appearance. Yeah, they hadn't quite figured him out. But it's interesting because he's, he's really the first shared villain. Like, Cobra, King Cobra doesn't stick to being a Thor villain. Like, Loki has always been Thor's. Yeah. But human Cobra eventually becomes sort of everybody's annoyance. I wouldn't even say problem. Cause he's <laughs> well, never... you also said that Zarko goes oh that's right tomorrow man hops well but he only had he zarko's interesting he does like four issues a decade i don't know whose book he's going to be in but he like he shows up for like four or five issues every decade so like every two years he has a he he shows up annoys a hero and disappears again (laughs) but um yeah no king cobra but it's interesting because this this character really evolves from from what you see here Mm-hmm. as the human cobra he evolves into a far in this volume even when he pairs up with mr hyde true yeah that's very true so we didn't mention this in the last issue but jane had quit working with blake because uh she's just tired of uh he, he she believes that he betrayed uh thor and so had to go off and uh, work with uh, went to work for somebody else well plus she's repeatedly mentioned that he never notices her <laughs> right and then, then, then the guy, she, it's so, it's so funny that just the way that this works is like, as soon as you, I can understand inter-office romance, but she goes to work for somebody else and instantly starts an inter-office romance with that guy. Yeah. Uh, that guy turns out to be a, a coward. And so she leaves him because she believes Don Blake is a real man, which is countered to what she's been saying this whole time about Don Blake. Yep. <laughs> and once again, she is imperiled. Yes. Um, Cobra gets his hands on her, and Thor is forced to save her. Yeah, and this one, um, they do something different. At the very last panel, they show Cobra getting away and hint that he will be back. Yep. So that's that's another hint that uh, Stanley's thinking a little bit more long-term here. And then we get um, Odin battles Ymir, king of the ice giants. So um, precursor f- for the frost giants, but we get a... Uh, our second tale of Asgard. And I think this is great. Um, and this is a story that gets referenced in the movies. So. Yeah, you don't get to see Odin's glorious battles uh, all that often. So it's cool to see him not sitting on his throne and not getting all angry with Thor. Yeah, he's uh, he's more active in this, although he sits down at the end. Journey into Mystery number 99. The first Mr. Hyde. Yes, the Thor battles a mysterious Mr. Hyde. Um, yeah, so this this was was this oh yeah this Don, is Don Heck. Heck this is Don this Heck Don still Heck. Uh, he he's a, a moody guy like his yeah. artwork can be very moody um, he can also be bright and cheery we see him in Avengers but then we give him something like this I love these first on page two these panels where Hyde is in the shadows I, I thought Don Heck's style suited this story I don't know if it suits the Thor book overall yeah. But this story with Mr. Hyde, I thought Don Heck's art um, was ideal. I think so, too. I like it. Um, and I think I would agree. He he does really well on uh, Iron Man. But, yeah, he seems especially uh, out of place with uh, against Jack Kirby and that kind of stuff. Well, I think his art is more of a small-scale piece, which I think why it works for this, because this isn't an epic story the way some of the... like the other Thor books that are globe spanning or 
um, involve all sorts of weird, crazy mythological pieces. That is this story in this issue. Um, yeah, the, the other issues are more bold and dynamic, which is why you get Kirby to draw that. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I like the fact that uh, the transformation is, it, it really is a complete transformation from uh, into Mr. Hyde, including right, right down to the fingertips. The, his fingerprints are different. He is a completely different person. Well, I mean, so is Thor and Don Blake. I don't know. I don't know if they have the same fingerprints. That's true. It's not established, but I'm pretty sure that they do. Or do Asgardians even have fingerprints? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Thor's might have been burned off with the lightning bolts or the... Right. Um, I loved this story, the the Surtur fight, Surtur fire of demon, which is the, the follow-up or the, the back end um, tale of Asgard. Yeah. Um, and again, we're following Odin. They could almost be called Tales of Odin. Well, I think this was a smart way to do because to do it because so much of the mythology revolves around what Odin, his accomplishments, and why is yes. he the ruler of Asgard? We kind of have to say that before we can move on to some other things. Yep. Uh, Kirby does, uh, he's credited for doing all of the artwork here. So he does the inks as well, which is not usual for Kirby. He usually, he just does the layouts. So that's kind of cool. Um, they use a very limited color palette in this one too. Lots of um, reds and pinks in contrast with the blues that they use. But, yeah. Yeah, cool cool story. I don't know much about Surtur except from what I've seen in some of the other comics and, and such, but nice to hear it, kind of an origin story of his. He's trapped in the center of the earth. Yes. And that brings us to issue number 100. So this was the issues 99 and 100 are the first to be continued situation. Right. The, the human cobra, they say he'll be back, but they haven't told you that... Uh, when but the this issue does carry over between 99 and 100 so you get your first to be continued so you can see that stanley has now been building more around thor mm -hmm. like yeah we're now starting to serialize our plots more yeah yeah so in this one so he turns after turning the public against thor mr hyde plans to to steal a polaris submarine and that's kind of there's not this one I thought like they they it's an exercised issue, but they kind of really pad this with oh no it's not exercised this one's just normal size but um, they still pad it with with a lot of I don't know unnecessary yeah, they may have stretched the the other plot was a little bit too long for one issue and like 99's plot so it stretched into two and you can see Don Heck so, uses a lot of bigger panels uh, yes, which is not usual for space. the for the Silver Age usually you get a lot more panels but. I feel like it switches inkers halfway through because the first part is really kind of dark and gritty. And then the second half of the book, the uh, the style really opens up. A lot more negative space is used and such. Yeah. Um, and too, I actually, I don't think Don Heck's art lends itself to the the latter half of the book. I think it worked better with the, the darker yeah. um, imaging. Um, I did find this issue interesting because... Thor specifically asks Odin to make Jane immortal. Yes. And Odin's response is she's not worthy. Right. Which is interesting because as we know, thirty or is it fifty years later, she is very worthy and ends up being Thor. <laughs> right. So Yeah, well I'm, she uh, figures out how to do it. I mean but this yeah, I mean she's just used so poorly in this book. It, it was the last issue, I didn't mention this, but in the last issue, one of the pages, um the it's the most dreadful 
uh, narration. Um, let me see if I can find it here. It's on page nine of of issue ninety nine, or of yeah, of issue ninety nine. Don Blake falls out of a window, and it says here: while inside the room, Jane Foster recoils in shock at the sight of the man that she loves plummeting to almost certain death through the open window, and she gasps, "Don, Don, oh no!" And then the caption reads: and then because she is a female. <laughs> She's fainted. <laughs> yeah. It's so terrible. It's definitely um, a, a more um, regressive approach. <laughs> yeah. And it's so weird because they don't fall in, Stan doesn't fall into this trap with like Jan um, in the Ant-Man book. Ant-Man or Wasp. he made Sue Storm into a hero. Yeah. So it's like, it's a, uh, it's very specific I don't know. It's very specific to Jane the way that he, he Stan is treating her her character here. Yes. There's a tornado cape. He uh, swing his he uses his torn his cape to create a tornado. So that's kind of a new a new thing there. I don't know why it isn't just like tap seven and a half times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no real threat in this. It's um. Like I said, a lot of filler. It's kind of. A, I thought it was too bad. I thought it was a weak ending. I thought the first yep. half issue ninety nine with Mister Hyde was great. Yep. I thought the art by uh, Heck was was fantastic. Yeah, and suited the issue. And I thought they built a lot of tension in the plot was well uh, developed, and um, even the whole gimmick where he's he's turned the public against Thor, and I found issue one hundred was a little bit of a letdown for for the um, the closure of that. Yeah. That story, which was too bad, but it was still interesting in that it was the first time we had done the to be continued with Thor, and we were starting to serialize the Thor book. Mm-hmm. The tales to, to uh, sorry, the tales of Asgard for this issue is is the boyhood of Thor, the Storm Giants. Thor fights the Storm Giants, and so we get a look at Thor and Loki as kids, which is something that's actually revisited quite often in in Thor comics over the years. Yes. But he, Loki, it's a common occurrence that Loki kind of tricks Thor into doing something he shouldn't be doing. He's a bad brother. <laughs> well, and Thor is just very naive as well. Yeah. But they go into um, the Storm Giant's castle and almost get eaten. It's very much a Jack and the Beanstalk kind of story here. They ride away on a giant bird. It is interesting because this is the book where he gets his, his hammer, though. Because the, the whole sort story, of. he's got a sword. He he. The hammer is there, but he is not able to lift it. He's only able to lift it a little bit. Yeah, but he. It, it's the first encounter between Thor and, and the hammer. Right, and you can see that that irks Loki already. Yeah, um, and that brings us to Journey into Mystery One Hundred One, um, which is the return of everyone's favorite um, world conquering time traveler, Kang. No, Starko. Oh, right. Sorry. Kang, as if Kang could ever match uh, match Zarko for villainy. My mistake. What was I thinking? Um, yeah. Anyway, so Zarko's back. Uh, he. This is an interesting issue because the Avengers are also in it. Yeah. Um, so Thor is now definitely part of the Marvel universe. We've had no mention of the wider Marvel universe up until this moment here. Yeah. But Thor has been appearing in Avengers comics this whole time, but we haven't known it if just by just reading this book. Yeah. But now the Avengers are appearing in Thor's book. Yeah. Um, and so they are all going to um, be taking on Zarko. And they don't make a big deal of it on the cover. I would have thought that like 
appearing in this issue, Avengers. Like that would be kind of a good selling point, wouldn't it? Yeah, Ant Man and Wasp are there. They're just really small. You don't see them. Oh, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it is. It's an interesting piece, and um, it's interesting that they chose to use Zarko for the the reintroduction of the um, the Thor uh, or the Avengers. I mean, sorry, not reintroduction. The introduction of the Avengers to the Thor book is um, is Zarko, and again, you get those feedback pieces so we get on page 283 you get a like a one page rundown of what happened last time in case you didn't read it or have forgotten and then we pick up in the future where again Zarko has robots that assist him in his evil schemes yeah robots that could be used for weapons but they're not weapons because this is the future or they come from the future where there are no weapons yes exactly um, and so it's it's Thor fighting uh, Zarko's robot, and so that's that's the issue. And um, it's interesting because Thor fights a lot of robots. Even the the Stone Men had a robot um, way back in the beginning, right? Um, yeah, because robots. You know, this is the thing you can just you can completely obliterate robots, and that's totally fine with the comic code. You can't you can't put Thor up against like you have a hammer. If Thor's going to use a hammer for destruction against his enemies. Like he can't do that against a person because that's too violent. But you can totally do that against a robot or a tree creature. Yes, that's true. Um, and once again, Thor gets blackmailed into doing what the villain wants. Thor, um, he doesn't... But this one was, uh, this one was intentional because he knew that he could undo... Or like, it seemed to me like after he was finished doing what he, what he was told to do, that he was like, okay, now I can, I'm free to do what I whatever i want and i'm going to take you down i think that he knew the whole time that he could undo something by playing along with zarko's plan for a little while yeah maybe i don't know i can understand if you're zarko you're thinking well thor gets mind controlled a lot i'm gonna try it yeah this whole thing was loki's doing yes so loki manipulating um, things again yep like he always does but the thing about this one is that he's now working with odin you like he's not he's not imprisoned anymore yeah, he is in Odin's ear, which is never where you want Loki. Yeah, and I can understand, like, Odin over and over again in this one issue t- says he calls Thor his favorite son right in front of Loki. Yeah. <laughs> like, how bad? That's got to make him, that Loki feel great, right? Yep. Does your dad ever do that with Eric? Not in front of me. Well, that's at least courteous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the first half of this book is really filler. It's the last half of this book that's quite exciting and uh it's it's a good story i actually liked the way that it turned out yes yeah well i mean the first half was background stuff and rehashing what previously happened and retconning the details that weren't going to work for the new story (laughs) um, but no it it is good um and it's interesting because you can also see that loki has a more elaborate long-term plot yeah and also you can kind of sympathize with loki's like disdain for his brother it's true you feel a little bad for loki because, yeah, Odin's a real jerk. <laughs> yeah. He, he's not painted in a good light throughout this entire book. He's got, a, he's got a bad temper. He doesn't make good decisions. He listens to Loki. He belittles Loki in front of He listens him to Loki while mentioning that you're could, not my favorite yeah. son, but I'm going to take it's, your advice. <laughs> it's just Odin's not very great. Um, and the, uh, the Asgard tale in this one is called Invasion of Asgard. Yeah, we get more of Thor's boyhood. Uh, he's still running around with his sword. Which is cool. Um, yeah, this one was great. I really like this one because Loki tricks him into um, 
joining the battle by taking a secret entrance out of out of Asgard that apparently nobody knows about. But all of the villains know because they're right outside the secret entrance. Yeah. And uh, he ends up uh, becoming a hero. I thought this was kind of a nice, yes. nice tale here. No, it's fine. It's interesting because this is uh, this is the same secret entrance they reference in the Thor movies. That, right. That Loki knows about that no one else does. Right. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Okay. So a continuation here. Uh, slave of Zarko, the Tomorrow Man, Journey into Mystery number one o two. Zarko takes the defeated Thor to the 23rd century and together they take over the world the future world yes i, I like this issue a lot i like time travel so but this one doesn't time travel doesn't really even matter but i just like the story of uh, like thor like we know that thor could actually take over the world if he wanted to um he has the means to it's not zarko that really does it it's because of of his of thor's power I mean, mind you this world has no weapons so except for this giant robotic the, insect thing the number of times that zarko has some sort of weapon to attack thor in a world that has no weapons baffles me well i think they have weapons at this point what is this uh, using his hammerhead as a prism to direct the potent alpha rays thor is able to atomize the techno instruments without causing them any injury to the men themselves wonder how many times you have to tap for that for alpha rays i don't know so this is Kirby again, and yeah, the second part of this Darko story. Um, this is this story is inked by Chick Stone, and Chick Stone will go on to ink a lot of um, of Jack Kirby's work for Fantastic Four, and I really really like the combination of Kirby and Chick Stone. I think that uh, Chick uses a lot of really bold lines. He he gets the angular nature of of Kirby's drawings, which Don Heck really downplays when he inks Kirby's work. Yes, um, and so when I think of Kirby, I and I, I I see classic, either Chick Stone or Joe Sinnott kind of inking his work. This is one I mentioned earlier that Thor uses his hammer for time travel, even though he doesn't have that magic metal that's attached to it. Yeah, I told you the hammer remembers. It just remembers. Yeah, yeah. it's a memory a memory hammer. Yeah. Also, Loki has the ability to see into the future. Yes, Loki's powers are impressive. Yeah. Not only see into the future, but communicate into the future because he gets Zarko to come back to the past. He lifts that cloud that was blocking his uh, Zarko's memories. Yep. Tales of Asgard, death comes to Thor. This is, uh, he looks like an adult, but it's Thor when he's 18. Adolescent Thor, late adolescent Thor. He still has problems um, picking up the hammer. He's not quite worthy yet. But this one's uh, important because it's the very first issue with Hela. Is the very first story with Sif. Sif uh, is a very different character here. She's not a warrior. Yeah, she She's just helpless. a damsel in distress who has been kept by Hela in her, her realm. And he has to go free her. And this is where he proves himself worthy because he is willing to give his life for, for, Sif. for Sif's. And that means that he's worthy enough to pick up the hammer. So this is the, this is the tale where he uses his hammer for the first time. Um, and that brings us to... The, the next issue. 103. Enchantress and the Executioner. Uh, the real Executioner this time. Right. Um, which was great. And I really like this one. And it's interesting because they're now expanding. Hela was last time you're getting an Asgardian villain who we're going to see more of. And this one you're getting it in a modern setting on Earth. You're getting two more Asgardian villains. 
you're also seeing some of the other enchanted weapons of the Marvel Universe. Um, because Executioner's here with his axe. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because Executioner and that axe and Enchantress play key roles in the previous volume that we did, which is from the 80s. And yet... Um, right. Volume, I think, what was it, 17 or something? It was called Immortal Flesh? Yes. So you can see that they have been foiling Thor um, since since the very beginning. Um, okay, so in this one, Loki enlists the Enchantress to woo Blake away from Jane. And he thinks that's going to... He, he says that that's going to help Odin with his problems, but he's like, this is going to also ruin Thor, so this is great. Yeah, well, he also says that Odin commands it. It's not just... I'm, Loki doesn't just ask her. He tricks her into thinking she's been told to do it by the All-Father. Right. This is great. I love the way that Kirby draws Enchantress. Yes. Yeah, such a such a difference to the way that uh, well, that he draws. I like Jane. the fact that this was like it's a mythical mythological story, and there's a, some great fight scenes with um, the executioner later, and, and you see this. But I also the fact that this is kind of soap opera, Archie comicish for a bit yep. there, and really Jane is. walks in on the enchantress with Don Blake, and yeah, I like the like the human drama piece that they had they've included. Now. Um, Here's another instance of someone being turned into a tree. Yes. The executioner uh, half gets turned into a tree for a little while. The enchantress does it. Those trees, I tell you, it's a, it's an interesting... As themes that go in this book, people get turned into trees, Thor's brain gets taken over, and Jane is in peril. Yeah. And then in the tales to Asgard, Thor's mission to Murmur, or Mirmir. Isn't that, isn't that um, what... Um, Darcy. Darcy calls the hammer. Mir <laughs> <Yeah>. Mir. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but Mir Mir happens to be the where the birth of place of hum, humanity yes. begins. So this is a kind of a cool story. I think I... Where, by the way, humanity is born of trees. That's true. Yeah, there you go. Born of trees. Because of a, a branch from the tree... The Tree of Life, Yagras Hill. Now, I've done, I've done something like thirty episodes now of these books, and the origin of humanity starts differently several times. In fact, in the Doctor Strange episode that we did um, last year, um, humanity starts by this wizard that travels back in time and eventually becomes God. <laughs> it was uh, yep. a great story. In this case. Odin makes a set of trees. Yes. Uh, no, it's not Odin. It's uh, this guy. Oh, that's right. In the land of Mew Mew. Mirmir. Mirmir, yeah. What's this guy's name? I can't remember. I wrote yes, it, I wrote right. it down. It's not, uh, it's not Odin. But we, we, are, we are created out of trees. But it's, it's Odin who planted the ash, uh, ash tree that would become human. So, uh, so th in this one, we're talking a lot about this particular tale, but in this one, we have uh, the king of... Mirror, mirror. The, no, it's not the king. I'm talking about the king of the dwarves. Oh, yes. King Sindri of the dwarves. He makes Thor a boat that he can travel to Mirmir. And, uh, and this is not the character that Peter Dinklage plays in uh, Infinity War. No. Even though Peter Dinklage does play the king of the dwarves. Um, who has the mighty forge that makes the weapons? This is the this is the king that came before that one. And I think Peter Dinklage's character is named 
um, Itri or something like that. Uh, Gullen isn't the the other guy's name. Gullen. Gullen. Oh, Gullen is the is the guy that that Thor goes to see on Mirror. Yeah. Oh yeah 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 right. Yeah. Oh yeah, Gullen. Yep, you're right. Okay, coming around to the end here. Uh, just a few more issues to go. We have number one hundred four. Yep. Giants walk the earth. Where Heimdall's finally cool. Yeah. It took him a while. 20, 20 issues, but Heimdall's finally cool. Uh, in this one, Loki continues to uh, manipulate Odin. Yes. This time he gets him to visit Earth. And for some reason, Odin decides to leave Loki in charge of Asgard and gives him extra powers as well. Yep. Like, Odin, come on, what are you thinking? Odin does not make good choices. Yeah, Baldur, Baldur goes to Earth as well. And yeah, Odin, is this the first time you see Baldur? This yeah. is the first Baldur yeah. the this Brave. This is the first Baldur, and this is where you get a cool version of, of Heimdall. And also interesting that Baldur's horse is worthy. Well, no, it's being pulled by by the hammer. It's in the, he's not picking up the hammer. Thor threw the hammer to catch Baldur's attention. Ah, okay. I don't know. I, <laughs> I guess that makes sense because Loki has also been dragged around by the hammer. Yeah. I just remember looking at the panel and thinking, oh, Baldur's horse is worthy. <laughs> right. Does that make it a Thor's? A Thor's. Thor's horse? Yeah, Thor's Thor's. Horse. A Thor's. So Odin comes to Earth and has this disguise that he uses actually fairly often when he comes to Earth, being kind of just got this big beard. You, you mean Santa? In a suit. Yeah, he's pretty much <laughs> Santa. But he, he he stops time in this one yep. and uh, and transports all of the people uh, into like a limbo dimension while while they fight their battle <laughs> with with Surtur and this giant kind of a weird issue. But it's the first time we really see an Asgard battle fought on Earth on Midgard. Yes. I liked the like some of the action panels where you you have like just the focus on someone's face their reaction or you get just tons of action lines all around them the motion yeah. lines kirby's great at that energy piece yeah yeah on 343 there's a panel where he's like thor is trying to push through the wind or the explosion and you have all the he's being assailed by just the like it's his silhouette in in motion lines yeah and um it really creates an energy to the battle it does yeah it, it's wonderful it's very effective and that you change perspectives, so you get shots from the side and from behind characters and above and below. And um, I like that piece. Yeah, well, that's Kirby. He he uh, is a good storyteller, and he knows yeah. exactly how to uh, how to keep you interested. Yep. Um, the tales to Asgard story in this one. This is Heimdall. Like I said, you finally get cool Heimdall. Yeah, and uh, this is. Um, I th- I think you don't really properly understand. Heimdall's powers by just watching the movies. No, like you understand that he like he knows he sees and hears all, but like in this one, he puts his ear I, to the ground and I hears a planet across time as well as space. Yeah, it's like you. there's just a, and the stuff that he can hear and the stuff that he sees. It's like it's just a, um, it's a, it's a really good. It paints a good picture of Asgard. But then you go back and think of like he let that snake slip by between his feet. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, but there's the other interesting thing here. Odin says, Heimdall, you're my favorite, second only to Thor. So now if you're Loki... Oh, boy. You probably heard, <laughs> I'm the second favorite son. But now Odin just picked some random guy. And also I like, like you better, better than my son. <laughs> oh, man. Poor Loki. 
Also, does Odin have like a list just posted somewhere in the throne room? List of people I like more than Loki. Yes, he had, he keeps a diary, <laughs> and every time someone pisses him off, he moves. Then he crosses off that name. Yeah, Loki moves up the list. But then you know, someone does something good. Loki goes down the list a little further. Balder, I like you more than Loki, but less than everyone else. Yeah. Okay, number 105, when Heimdall failed. Oh, no, sorry. A new Marvel Super Spectacular. That's because we have two villains in one issue. Yeah, but also this is very much Thor's book. I mean, it's been during an issue with Thor, but... Yeah, is this, it's, yeah, is this it's, the first it's time the first Thor... Time the Thor... Oh, no. no, it's not. It's the second time that the Thor... Uh, logo. logo is bigger than the Journey into Mystery. Yeah, it's really it's taken, over. taken over. Yeah, yeah. It's now Journey into Mystery in, in small print. Uh, and this is another appearance from the from the Avengers. Yeah, we're we're they're sitting around now. We're making sure we get that all linked up. <laughs> yeah, they're having one of their their weekly meetings. So funny. They're assembled. Okay, so in this one, Cobra stumbles upon Mister Hyde's base. And they scuffle for a bit until they realize they have a common enemy in Thor, and they decide to team up and take him down. Now, there's on the page, it's page five of, of this issue, on page 356 of this book. Um, at the very top, we see, what is Hyde's real name? I forget. Uh, I can't remember. But anyway, whoever, whatever his name is, um, he drinks the formula that turns him into Mr. Hyde, and we get the three panels of this kind of transformation and I love when Kirby does this because he does it all the time in Hulk. Yes. When Hulk is turning into Bruce Banner. And Hulk is very much a Jekyll and Hyde character anyway. Yep. Um, so he uses the same sort of visual cues in the transformation here when he transforms to Mr. Hyde. Uh, and this is the issue I mentioned before where Cobra has a machine that captures um, that captures Thor's hammer. I like this. This issue was a lot of fun. Um, them teaming up and, and discovering the secrets. Oh yeah, they have a <laughs> they have a um, what do they call it? A reversal ray that projects an image where they uh, they can watch time go in reverse. Yep. Very very handy. And so he just has to point it at Thor, and they can backtrack his movements to find out where he comes from. And he came from the office of Don Blake. So what are they going? What are they going to do? They're going to imperil Jane. Yes, <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. This is this is great. This this two part story is a lot of fun. Um, but before we get into the second part, this tales of Asgard's called when Heimdall failed. I think that was the snake through the legs, actually. <laughs> or, or when the leaf poked his eye. <laughs> yeah, Heimdall doesn't succeed a lot, but this is, I guess, a bigger failure than. Than normal, yeah, because he let the storm giants through. So, yeah. uh yeah, and we, it just further expands. It's not that great of a story. It just further expands kind of the mythology. No, I like I like the previous issues Heimdall better. Yeah, this Heimdall was less great. But it brings us almost to the end. There, we're at one of six. It's the second half of the story. Um, Cobra is still working with Mister Hyde. He's no longer the human Cobra. He's just the Cobra. The Cobra. Uh, he hasn't been crowned yet. And they have to tell us on the, on the splash page, continued or concluded from last issue, because this is not a normal thing. So we have to know for readers who are just picking up this off the newsstands that this is a Yeah, you're confused for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. But they give us a one-page explanation. Yep. And I love this in the end. Um, Cobra, they, they, so Thor has to get his hammer 
out of this machine. And he, as Don Blake, he tricks both Cobra and Hyde into destroying the machine to get at it by making them show off their powers. Yeah, it is interesting that he is more than 60 seconds without his hammer this time and doesn't revert. Uh, well, no, he re- he reverts. Um, I mean, I guess, yeah, you, you don't know how long this battle is, but um, he does revert back into the here in the, and the and the hammer turns back into his yeah stick. that's where you're saying you're right i mean we don't know for sure there's no countdown clock i just the amount of events that occur suggests more than 60 seconds right um, but so. i like that don blake has to use his smarts to get out of this one and he actually is very brave facing off against cobra and and um what's his name mr hyde but all jane sees is the fact that he said the one thing he said was he's going to betray like he i'll I'll show you where thor is if you show me that you can break this machine and jane really latches onto that yes (laughs) and then at the end mr hyde just completely throws the cobra under the bus um i love it it's a great villain betrayal it's like they're about to get captured, so Mr. Hyde reverts back into his human form so no one will recognize him and leaves Cobra to get caught. Yep. And then Tails Vasgard. Balder. Yeah, we get some... He, Balder's a weird guy. I feel like... Um, why isn't he in any of the movies? Was he not in any of the movies? I thought he was in the first one in the... I don't remember him in the first one at all. I'm sure Balder was kicking around in the first movie. No one's in the third one. Well, they they are yeah they are all in the third one. And they all die, except for Sif. I guess Sif is not in the third one. But we have the great scene in the third movie where Hogan like stands his ground against Hela. Oh, that's true. well, Hogan's there. Yeah, that's true. But then um, Fandral and Volstagg are killed in like one scene, so they're there, but not very there. Yeah, I feel like Balder was in the first one. I'd have to rewatch that to to realize it. I, I don't um, remember. I don't know. If not, I'm sure he fell with Thanos. Yeah, probably. Uh, or maybe they're saving him for Thor 4. Yes. The coming of Balder, the brave. <laughs> That's going to be a terrible But this one, is, um, this one is inked by Vinny Coletta, Vince Coletta, which he's not my favorite inker. But he does give this much more of a kind of a Prince Valiant kind of look. Yeah, I didn't like that so much. Um, not because I don't like the Prince Valiant, and I didn't. I thought the story was okay. I just, I didn't think it fit with what had been established as the motif for the Thor books. Yeah, Baldur's. Yeah, and Baldur's kind of weird. It's just like he he leaves battle because he saw some birds in danger. So forget about all the people that he's supposed to be protecting. There are birds in danger, uh, so he's got to go help the birds. But then in turn the plant life and 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 the animal kingdom save him from peril when odin tries to have him executed <laughs> yeah odin's so wishy-washy oh does this mean that balder is less liked than loki probably he's pretty far down the list i think yeah yeah okay continuing on to number 107 when the gray gargoyle strikes here's another classic marvel villain um who you will see many times after this I love this villain. He is um he's kind of tragic because he accidentally turns himself into stone. He just he doesn't realize what he's doing, but his hand turns to stone and as he touches he like put his puts his hands in his face, turns himself into stone. Yep. Like that's very unfortunate. Um 
But this issue was a fairly, um, after the Asgardian kind of issues and the, the team up, this issue felt a lot like some of the older ones where it's just, it's a one and done. It's a kind of the villain of the week. It's a small scale piece. Yep. He's Thor not... loses his um, hammer again and all this kind of stuff. No, actually this time I, what I liked is um, the Greg Gargoyle turns There's... Thor into stone. Yes. And as Thor falls, he taps his hammer on the ground or his hammer happens to tap because it hits the ground and turns yep. him back into Don Blake. So yeah, yeah nice plot device there. Um, no, I like that. And that was a well-used version of the plot device. Um, there have been some good times, like some great examples of them using that plot device different ways, and this yep. was another good example. Um, I do like this origin of uh, of the Grey Gargoyle, though, this establishing him as a villain. I like the fact that he's a smaller-scale villain in some ways. And uh, this one, the ending of it ties into Avengers number seven. It says Thor battles against his own allies in Avengers number seven on sale now. So this is, this is again, um, not only do we get a sense that Thor is a part of the larger issue, but now we're advertising each other's comics. We haven't seen that yet in Thor, which Stan starts to do um, quite a bit from this point on. We had another Balder story. This time he must die. Yeah. Which is interesting because last time he was supposed to die too. That's right. <laughs> now, in this one, Loki tries his best to kill to kill Balder, but it it's, just doesn't It's actually work. the most proactive we've seen Loki. It's not some sort of mischievous plan. He's just trying to commit murder. Yeah. And he, he does it himself instead of trying to get yeah. someone else to do it. Yeah. But it's not... Uh, it's Yeah. The those those two Balder stories were not great for me. I didn't really care for them. I think that's just because Balder's not that great. Mm-hmm. And Odin would agree with you. So, two more issues left. Number 108, At the Mercy of Loki, Prince of Evil. And uh, Jack Kirby, this is an interesting one because Jack Kirby draws Doctor Strange. Yes. Who has been only a Steve Ditko character up until, actually, I think he appeared in an issue of uh, Fantastic Four, which was drawn by Kirby. But um, it's always interesting to see Ditko creations drawn uh, drawn by Kirby, especially because usually they stayed pretty separate yep so in this one i love it loki disguises himself as an old man with a cane and then does the whole oh excuse me i bumped into you and does the whole switcheroo with the cane and then tosses the cane out the window but as we've seen in the last issue once the cane hits the ground shouldn't that tap instantly turn thor into thor well i think you still have to be possessing the cane or the hammer to be thor you don't because um in one of the I forgot to mention in one of these issues we just saw uh, with Mr. Hyde, Jane is in the office, and and um, and Mr. Hyde is holding the stick, and so Don Blake says, "If you want Thor, you just have to look out the window and tap the stick, and, and you'll see him. That's the, the, the Thor signal." And so Mr. Hyde taps the cane, and oh, yeah. Don Blake turns into Thor. Well, maybe a thud isn't the same as a tap when it falls to the ground. I don't know. I just call inconsistency, that's all. So, Really, anyway. this is the only inconsistency you found <laughs> in this whole volume. It's the, uh, <laughs> it's the latest one. So Doctor Strange gets seriously injured, and um, Don Blake has to save him. So it's kind of cool seeing Don Blake, the hero, helping other superheroes. Now, do um, you think he needed his android skills or his medical skills to save well, seeing that Doctor Strange is a robot, I would say uh, the android skills. No. <laughs> but, but man, the Avengers are in this one as well. So we get a, 
a lot of stuff. Is, yeah, this is a, a busy issue. Yeah, it is. And Thor and Loki captures Jane again and places her in limbo, and Doctor Strange has to has to help her out. So there's a there's a lot to like about this one. It's fun. It's fast paced. It's packed. Um, lots of guest stars. Yes. And it's Jack Kirby doing the artwork. So. The the tree fighting scene, I loved the tree fighting scene. Oh yeah, with the the shards and just the action and the motion that he is able to create and the energy, it's frenetic. I don't know if the inking was the strongest it's been in any of the issues. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, Who does this inking? Um, the images themselves are are wonderful. Inks are by Chick Stone, which is interesting because I was just talking about how much I like him. But yeah, he does. Uh, he he's pretty light in his inks in this yeah. one. Doesn't rely on all of like the heavy lines that that we're used to and then trapped by trolls the tales to asgard um thor has to uh go to meet king sindri and uh, king sindri who's the king of the dwarves sends him underground to where the trolls are so i um and i'm not sure the 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 dwarves and trolls are sort of like deviations of the same race yeah and so one lives underground and one lives above ground um, Thor is still young. He's still like 18 or something, but he has his hammer. It's a it's an okay one, just another world-building issue. Yep. Which brings us to our final issue in this book, Journey into Mystery number 109. Magneto. Yeah, the Menace of Magneto. So yep. the X-Men were some of the the last the last of Stan's creations to kind of join the, the larger Marvel Universe. But I guess they've appeared now. Because here, here are the villains, and not only, not only, um, not just the villains, but yeah. the villain, yeah, and Toad and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and Mastermind, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, are all in this one. Yes. Now, of course, this is the question: uh, Can Magneto attract Thor's hammer? Because Thor's hammer is made out of metal, yep. Uru metal. Oh, but then Thor can make a, a tree hammer, right? But um, but apparently, it is made out of he he, he can he yes. he can attract the Thor's hammer because that's how he tracks down Magneto. Now Magneto doesn't really have a plot at all. No, he just wants to best Thor. So it's kind of like a it's kind of a weird a weird story. The Brotherhood don't feature into it, and the the really ear the weird thing about this one is that the X Men are in this issue, but we never see them. It's they're just off panel in every single time we see them as shadows or we see the beast's knuckles. And yeah. I don't know why exactly that is that we uh we don't get to see them. That's true. It's sort of an interesting quirk to the issue. And I wonder if it's like the X Men are new characters, so we don't wanna we just wanna tease you to entice you to buy yeah. the uh the whole you know, an actual X Men comic. Yep. But it was an interesting choice to not actually show them. So it was interesting, too, because this one features Don Blake having to evade destruction. Yeah, that uh, was a great scene. scene. Like, yeah, um, to, to get out dodging of... Dodging all of the traps. Out of Magneto's death yeah. traps. It was actually kind of uh, harrowing and, like, one of the, the better scenes in this issue, for sure. Yeah. No, I liked the Don Blake... The, the Don Blake... I do like the fact that Don Blake went from a enfeebled man who couldn't move around without his cane to running through traps like right this book and i think they mentioned a limp yeah uh in one of the last issues but yeah they really downplay that now he he can almost walk normally um yeah no and maybe that's the effect of having the the hammer it, it rejuvenates his muscles or something 
I also like the fact that we get yet another power of the hammer where it can draw the magnetic field away from Magneto. <laughs> like the the powers of this hammer at the beginning were were impressive. You can just it can do whatever you need it to do. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like a better version of Green Lantern's ring at the beginning. That's kind of you know that's kind of the way Stanley wrote a lot. Like Spider-Man's webbing can take any shape and it can be of any sort of consistency or hardness that it needs to be in order to do what it needs to do. And, you know... No, I, I do agree. I think science and realism have taken some of the fun out of some of these characters. Yeah. They've added some great elements to these characters of the years, but they've, um, they've, they've taken out some of the, like, just we can do whatever we want aspect of things. Yeah, it's true. So... The final Tales of Asgard story here is Banished, Banished from, from Asgard. Asgard. Yeah, and Odin's costume changes yet again. He's had like 18 costumes in this um, Yeah. In this one book because every, every artist draws him differently and in fact, each artist draw, gives him a different costume in, in, depending only, on which issue. The only consistency is his Santa beard. Now, um, I used to... Uh, I watched the marvel superheroes cartoon from the 60s yep. i didn't watch it in the 60s because i wasn't would, around at that point you, you, but that would have been impressive <laughs> but i saw some of them on vhs and stuff and the notable thing about that uh, cartoon is that they literally take these panels from these comics and crudely animate them yes um but they they reuse a lot of animation. So like if they have a scene of Odin raising his hand, they'll just use that same scene in a couple of different episodes. But because each artist drew Odin in a different way, Odin changed his costume like from scene to scene in the same episode, like in the same scene. It would be like Thor would be talking to Odin and it showed him in, in one costume from one shot and it would change, just change like the the camera angle or whatever and odin would be wearing something completely different because the artist drew it differently in the comic <laughs> yeah no and they're not even not even close like the the loki costume evolves through this book yeah but but there it's, is, it's relatively there is, there, the yeah, same there are little tweaks yeah. the odin costumes are drastic drastically changed. changed sometimes he has horns sometimes he has a little mask yeah. like the blue mask with the little eye slits in it and yeah then other times he has this purple mask and purple helmet and yeah very very different throughout each one of them but (laughs) so uh the uh the thor tales for asgard stories continue on for i liked this one yeah 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 this one was good too i i think i just don't like balder might be the issue um yeah this one was nice because you could you could rename him balder the boring the balder the boring (laughs) or yeah um, he gets better too, though, and eventually, he, like he in does. Walt Simonson's Balder's, run, he Walt ends up, Simonson's Balder is really good. Yeah, but this Balder, the beginning, so it'll be help. interesting to see how Stanley and Jack Kirby develop him through the next few volumes as yes. they develop Asgard more, um, because they will. So, uh, some uh, bonus features is we actually get a original art from. The very first Journey into Mystery with Thor, number 83. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and it's a, the original cover has way more stone men than the actual, uh, the actual cover. I guess they yes. removed some to make things a little bit more clear. But it looks kind of cool with way more stone men in there. But it is too busy, I agree. Yep. Um, and a few other big, um, original pages by Jack Kirby and, uh, and, um, and a house ad. So there's not much in the way of bonus features, but that's okay because... But this issue was full. Yeah, it was packed. 
tons of stuff. Yeah, and and also uh, in one of the one of the issues in the middle there, um, you have extra words. We already talked about how it was superfluously wordy. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Those are, like, you call those extra features? I don't know if I call those extra features. Yeah, you get extra adjectives and pronouns. Okay. And... Well, those are the extra features you can do without. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, after reading this book, how do you feel about Thor? Does your opinion of Thor change? Is it better? Is it worse? Are you excited for what comes next? I don't know. I'm excited for what comes next. I'm not, like, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading what comes next. I'm excited for closing the gap on the era of Thor I am familiar with yeah. and have enjoyed. I love Kirby's art, so I'm excited to go through that. I am excited to go through the more serialized stuff that's coming. Yeah. Um, we have some great stories coming. I'm also excited because I know either in Volume 2 or Volume 3, we're going to get more Hercules, and I like Hercules. Um, right, yeah. So I'm looking forward, forward to that piece. But um, yeah, I don't know if I'd say excited, um, because as, as several of our fans noted, there were points where this book dragged a little bit. Um, yeah. I I still loved reading it. I loved seeing where these things come from. I loved um, the Kirby artwork. I I did enjoy Joe Sinnott's um, in, uh, um, contributions. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed seeing the beginnings of different themes that will carry forward through the Marvel universe. But um, I anticipate that Volume Two may have a similar pacing issue as this one before we can really start to pick up the more serialized type of book we're, right. we're used to. What about yourself? Did it did it change your view of Thor? Or? Well, um, it certainly gave me a good um, idea of the, or- well, of course, of the origins of the character. But um, I like to see what how Th- Stan really originally wanted Thor to be like, because he's so different now than he was back then. Um, and even looking at the movies the Thor in the movies is so different than, than this. So it's, I really like to see how how the character was originally kind of conceived, how he was supposed to be. The character I liked best from this was Don Blake. And I don't think that we... Mm-hmm. I mean, Don Blake doesn't really even exist much anymore. No, not at all. Um, and I think that's too bad because I liked Don Blake. And I am excited to see Don Blake for the next little while. Like, this Don Blake is resourceful and, and courageous and... It gives a different element to Thor because Thor is often just a, I'm going to go in and bash things around. Yes. And uh, and Don Blake brings more of an intelligence to the character. Yeah, I am curious to read on the next several volumes and see not only how Don Blake evolves, but at what point he's abandoned. Right, yeah. Because we don't have that Don Blake again. Right, he's not in the Tom DeFalco stuff that we read. No, well, and I mean, he doesn't even exist now. Yeah. Or references to Don Blake now are more like in the movie. It's just the pseudonym Thor uses <laughs> to explain himself. It's right. not, Don Blake is not a character with agency anymore. Yeah, it's true. So what do you want to do next? Do you want to go through volume two or do you want to skip around? We have a couple of options because they've released epic collections for Thor yeah, in the 80s. Yeah, they pace pretty quick here. And they have also, they've released the final volume of Thor um, that was right before the Heroes Reborn relaunch. That's the Warren Ellis and William Messner Loeb's Thor. Yep. So we could do that volume, or we could do, yeah, volume two here, or we could do Thor in the 80s when Alan Cooperberg was drawing it and I don't even remember who was I think we should put it to the fans I mean it's going to be 
several months before we get to another Thor uh, episode. Mm -hmm. So let's give the fans a chance to tell us what era of Thor they want to explore. That is a explore. great idea. You know um, what? I'm going to put up a Twitter poll. Yeah, let's, let's put that out there to the fans and um, yeah. give them some time to respond and, and let the fans decide which era of Thor um, we visit next. Okay. I mean, because our next time you and I do an episode is going to be a Doctor Strange yeah. um, episode. So it's going to be a while before we get back to Thor. And let's see where fans want to go with that. Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of our episode, and I thank you for joining me once again, Craig. It's always a pleasure. Um, thanks again for having us, and, and thanks to our listeners for, for making theirs the Epic Marvel Podcast.